You're the Tom Haverford of podcasts. <laughs> shrimp wall. <laughs> <laughs> Dead left shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> everybody to another episode of the motor mouth podcast the podcast where a lot of great ideas go absolutely nowhere my name is joel tyree and joined as always with my esteemed co-host the tim gerard hello on a saturday no less how you doing tim <laughs> i'm all right yeah it's, it's it's weird it's definitely weird you know with the, the sun still up and all that or, i mean i guess the sun is usually up when we start but then it's going down when we finish it rapidly transitions to motor mouth after dark. <laughs> <laughs> so two topics enter. Sanity leaves. Tim, what did you bring? I I brought uh, me not getting into the Pacific Northwest film scoring program. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. You'll just have to setter, settle for Berkeley, I guess. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> oh damn, that kind of that's that sucks, man. I'm sorry. There's there's more to the story. It'll it'll okay. it's not just going to be me whining the whole time. Okay. <laughs> Though I am here, we we haven't had a Tim whining episode. Let's do that. <laughs> we'll plan that for next time. <laughs> oh, I want to go to school. <laughs> I want to take out more loads. <laughs> so, and I brought um, kind of. It's a Trevor Moore discussion. Um, founding member of the Whitest Kids You Know troupe, um, musician, comedian, director, writer, guy I really looked up to who passed away recently. And um, so I, I sent Tim a whole bunch of sketches. It started with ten and has ballooned to seventeen. So we're gonna we're gonna talk about some Whitest Kids You Know sketches. So yeah, so not getting in what happened <laughs> uh when quarantine covid quarantine started i was getting emails and I, i'd always knew about the pacific northwest film scoring program it's in seattle and it's a one-year film scoring master's program and it's like oh that's so cool it's so nice that it's one year but it's like you know i'm not going to move to seattle for a year i'm not like living with my parents where i could just move to seattle for a year move back in with my parents figure out my life from there like you know married have jobs you know it's like we do quit your job for a year and then it's like okay do i find a job in seattle hopefully do i move back you know like what you know does does krista move with me do we do you know does she stay here while i move there and i, I rent you know it's like no that's not gonna work right so when covid started they announced that they had a low residency program where it's mostly done online and then you could you know a, a few times a year you would fly to Seattle for a week or two to like record your final projects, basically. So I was like, okay, you know, and, and I wasn't thinking of doing it for fall of uh, 2020. Cause I was like, it'll still be too soon to fly for me. Right. But I was like, Oh, by fall of 2021, <laughs> and this was me being optimistic back then. Oh, this COVID thing will be over by then. It'll be <laughs> safe to fly again. Little did I know. Um, Got more variants so, than Loki. <laughs> right. Yeah. 
So that was sort of my plan is like, okay, I'll apply to that. And then while I was at it, I was like, well, I may, may as well see if there are any other film master's programs that I could apply to while I'm going through the process, you know? And that was another thing too, is I wanted a full-time program because I, you know, I was going to need student loans. And usually I think you can only get them if you're a full-time student. Not, I'm right. taking one class a semester and I'm going to take five years to do a one-year program. Right. So I was like, okay, what is, you know, I need a full-on degree program. Cause that's the thing too, is there are other schools that had like certificate programs, but it's not, you know, it doesn't qualify for financial aid. Gotcha. So basically what, yeah, what it narrowed down to was Pacific Northwest and Berkeley Online. So I was like, okay, I'll apply to these two programs and kind of go from there. So I applied to Berkeley first because, you know, that was my second choice. So I was like, well, let me submit this application. And then the day after when I'm like, oh, no, I should have done this differently. That's what I can change on my Pacific Northwest application. You know, that's the same thing happened when I was applying to grad schools the first time around. Mm -hmm. You know, like I applied to DU. Uh, last because that was my first choice. I wanted to kind of work all the bugs out and then sort of hand in my best possible application. So handed in my Berkeley application, worked on my Pacific Northwest application, uh, handed that in, and then found out that they were actually full for the year. Um, and what I was thinking of was last summer, I was getting emails like right through August, like, oh, apply now. We have a new re low residency program. So I think they were probably having not having as many people apply because of COVID and trying to get word out like, no, no, you can still apply and just stay home. Um, I feel like what a lot I'm of places is, were do it like a lot of people were offering admission, but then people were deferring them a year. I think a lot of programs were doing that oh, as well. Okay. Um, yeah, so it might have been, been like a big push and then people were like, mm -hmm. oh, I got in. But if I defer to the next year, that might I don't know. I know DU yeah. has done that with a lot of different things where it's like, hey, okay. you're in, but if you feel safer coming next year, we're not going to penalize yeah. you for that. Well, yeah, that might have been the case then because when I yeah when I applied this year, they were like, oh, we're full this year, but you know we can if you if you're accepted, we can put you on a waiting list for this year in case anyone drops out, or you can defer it to next year. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do that because, you know, part of me was almost kind of like maybe it would be better, better to wait another year or, you know, whatever. So part of it was that, like, Berkeley moved ahead pretty quickly. And pretty quickly I found out I was accepted, which was really cool. And like, oh, wow, like, yes, I got accepted. It's a big I was deal. also like, I, I want to see, see what Pacific Northwest says. Like, that's right. my first choice school. Like, you know, so I was kind of like keeping Berkeley on the hook, you know, like kind of, you know, stalling with that. Um, a few weeks after I finally submitted my application to Pacific Northwest, I checked in with them and they're like, oh, we didn't get one of your letters of recommendation yet. And I was like, oh, I wish I had known that. I would have contacted the person two weeks ago. So right. contacted them. Uh, long story short, it, it, it took, I, I only, yeah, I only recently found out like, and I, I forget exactly, I'm not going to dig through my emails to see when I submitted my application, but I'm going to say it was at least a month, maybe going on two months even. And I was kind of waiting around, waiting around. So I just kind of moved ahead with Berkeley. I was like, you know what? Like, they've been good to me. I mean, I'm still waiting to find out about financial aid through Berkeley. But um, so then, so so this past Tuesday, I get home, getting in bed. You know, it's late. Krista's already asleep. You know, I went to bed after her. And, you know, my, my dumb habit that I have of when I'm trying to settle into bed and relax, it's like, I'll check my email before I go to bed. Like, what the fuck is wrong with me, right? Like, Where'd you learn that? Uh, it's, 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 well, it's like I'm lying in bed. I have my iPad. It's one of the things I can do on my iPad that doesn't make noise because Krista's already asleep. So it's like, 
you know, and I should have just read comics. That's what I usually do. That's my goal <laughs> is to just read comics on the Marvel Unlimited app until I get tired. But I was like, I'll check my email. So I have an email from Pacific Northwest finally. I'm like, oh, sweet. Here's this email. And without thinking, like, this could be bad news. You should go to sleep and read it tomorrow. <laughs> Tim, I, ever I the optimist. <laughs> yeah. I immediately open it. I'm just like, yay. So I'm not going to read the email that I got because I don't want to be sort of broadcasting his words. Like, I don't have permission to use his words. But I'll summarize kind of like what he said so this, does this yeah. come from the dude who reviewed your application? Is that? Yeah, from the guy who, like, runs the whole program. I see. Okay. Um, and, again, I'm, I'm not going to say his name to call him out in any way. But, I mean, if you do the research, you'll find out who <laughs> Suffice it to about. say, he works for that program. Yeah, <laughs> he's the main he's guy. He's the guy, yeah. <laughs> which, which was kind of cool. Like, I, you know, it was nice knowing, I guess, that it wasn't just some, like, intern who, like, here, f- like, go through these applications right. and tell me who you think is good, you know. It's um, odd you got a personalized thing because I feel like a lot of yeah. programs have like automated responses. I know that's how yeah, Gmail exactly. does it, where it's like, yeah. "Hey," if, and if it's a thanks but no thanks, it's very scrubbed language. Like it's very antiseptic. It's not meant. Yeah. It's not personalized mm-hmm. anyway. It's supposed to just tell you quick what the answer is. Yeah, so, that's not what this uh, is. I'm assuming. <laughs> no, no. So I'm going to try to summarize. So basically, like. There were, there were a list of sort of like musical elements that the, what I submitted didn't really show. And I kind of mentioned those in my response. He mentioned there were issues with like the things being different in the notation that I had in the, the printed score that I gave him kind of not matching what happened in the recording. There are elements about just the idea of uh, a lot of people nowadays will just kind of sit at a dot and kind of layer stuff until it sounds full and done and then moving on as opposed to like thinking of it in terms of like the actual instruments you're writing for and lines and, and counterpoint, things like that. Um, also, one of the questions on the application is who are your three you know, favorite, most influential composers? So I said um, Gustav Holst, George Crumb, and Christoph Penderecki. And so he mentioned that, like, oh, it's kind of odd that you didn't mention any film composers. And one of the things was it says, you know, they can be film composers, but they don't have to be. So I'm like, okay, like, I'm going to go, like, full on, you know, my actual, like, you know, classical composer yeah. uh, influences. And those and aren't, then, like, uh, chump guys. Like, those are experimental, like, weird, like good quality <clears throat> composers. They're, they're like... With Gustav Holst especially, I feel like he definitely had an influence on film composing, you know? Yeah. So it's like, like yeah, the guy behind the guy, you know, or Tchaikovsky, if you put that down, like somebody say it's the same. There's a very cinema element to those. Right. Those symphonies. Fuck. Okay. I'm I'm already mad. I'm pre mad. (laughs) This bastard. So so, I'm going to call his name out. Yeah. Holler if you hear me, motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) So that. Oh, and then one of the things he said was one of the requirements for the portfolio was I had to have at least one because you had to submit a score, like a printed score, like Mm -hmm. a PDF. And then a recording, mm-hmm. uh, which this comes in later, too. This took me a while to realize this, is that two of the pieces I submitted were, were film scores that I did. Uh, the, the Westworld chase scene competition yeah. and the, the spring competition that I did. But it wanted, and I, I did include a link, so I did a write-up for my portfolio, and I had a link to the video. But what he wanted was just recordings. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he ever watched the video. I think he was going just based on here's the notated score. Here's the audio recording of this piece you wrote, mm-hmm. which I think played a big part in in sort of the uh, 
well, you know, yeah, his decision and his perception of that stuff. Um, and then the third piece was one that I was, a piece I was writing that was going to be for a film, but I kind of ended up not working with the guy after a while. And I just kind of turned it into its own orchestral piece. And that was one of the first things I did when I was starting to get into film music and, uh, in like 2014 ish. So that was, it was actually performed by the Lamont Symphony Orchestra at DU in one of their concerts. And that's the recording I use for that. Gotcha. But one of the things he said is like, Oh, you didn't meet one of the requirements of having a live recording of at least one of your pieces. And I was like, yes, yes, I did. Like, and I mean, granted, I don't know if there was a way for him, you know, to tell necessarily, like I didn't write, you know, I didn't say it. it I mean, he would have had to be able to tell just by listening. So, so that was one of the things I was like, like, okay, I, I did meet that requirement. I mean, obviously there's other stuff wrong here, but you know, and then, uh, you know, one of the things he mentioned was, you know, they weren't necessarily looking for, and I don't know if this was something, well, this was two things. Number one, the Berkeley application did want stuff that was attached to film. They wanted to see that you've had some experience in film scoring. Mm -hmm. And the two pieces that I submitted were two of my more recent pieces. So I was like, yeah, I'll submit those here too, since it's a film scoring program. But more what he was looking for is not necessarily how do you score a film, but how do you write music? Like what's your just musical style overall? And then at the end, and this was something that was kind of cool. Uh, he does mention that, you know, if you, um, yeah, that he would consider, like, if I wanted to send other, other pieces that best, re better represented myself, he'd consider like, you know, reviewing those. So, so that was one of the things where I was kind of like, you know, again, like all these emotions kind of hit me of like, oh man, this, this sucks, but also like, okay, like at least, you know, like you said, I didn't get this antiseptic email being like, thanks, but no thanks. It was like, here's all the stuff that is why, you know, you, you didn't get in. And I basically spent many hours that night lying there in bed thinking about sort of a response, you know, cause mm -hmm. like, I, I mean, you know, the fact that he like took the time to like write this long email, I was like, right. okay, like he didn't have to do that. He could have just said, no, fuck off, you know? And, and he did. And I was like, okay, so this, this sucks. I'm disappointed, but this isn't like the, the worst thing. So I was like, I think I'm going to respond and at least address some of the stuff that he brought up. Mm -hmm. So I can kind of, you know, maybe, clarify some things but also you know kind of address the the legitimate you know criticisms that he had and it it was interesting too because i kind of been thinking of this a little bit along the way and this kind of brought a little more clarification to that um and that's part of what i included in the email so i will i will read the email that i wrote back to him just because you know these are my own words so I, i'm fine quoting them but also because I feel like it took me a long time to write this. And like I said, I was up many hours thinking about what I wanted to write. And then when I finally sat down to write it and put it all on paper. And, and one of the things I did, too, is I actually wrote it in a Google Doc first because I didn't want to accidentally send it halfway yep. through and yep. just wanted to edit it. So I kept it far away from the actual email and, you know, went through and, and added some stuff. So so here's I, my email. Well, real quick, like it is like yeah. as I was listening, like the I, I you, you heard everybody heard my reaction. I was like, fuck this guy. But again, like there is, there is this, like, it is really valuable to have feedback to respond to, even though like right. there is something to be said, especially like you had to wait for another recommendation letter to come in. And this was like at the end of the cycle to it had been on his desk for such a long time. So for him to take the time to actually respond thoroughly, it, it, that's, yeah. that's a test. That's a good thing. Like I'm, I'm yeah. kind of impressed. Like this is kind of unheard of. I don't know that I've seen. Yeah at least in the stuff I've applied to or heard of, this has never been the level of feedback for a, yeah. a thanks, but no thanks. So that that's, yeah. it's valuable in, in that sense, but it doesn't make it hurt any less, but it's still, right. 
there's some there's a place to go to you know rather than yeah. just well fuck me you know yeah well the other thing too is that like you know like i said i knew from the beginning like their their class for this year was full up so it's not like right. they're they're not looking to fill seats and it's like okay if if i get accepted you know i'd be either waiting listed or deferred for next year right. so in all fairness they're in no rush to do my application for right. their sake they don't know what's going on in my life number one number two i did hear at one point that he was in the middle of working on a score for a feature film at right. the time yep. so it was kind of like okay yeah like you're a film composer this is why we want to study with you because you're actually doing the, the thing so it's like okay i get that but yeah the fact that he finally like got around to it and did it you know so here's my response um, thank you for taking the time to write such a detailed email. I'm used to getting auto-generated emails or no response at all from jobs I've applied to, and I'm left wondering what I, I could have done differently. Your honest evaluation was a welcome contrast to that. Ironically, I feel that all the aspects that you listed used to be important parts of my compositions, things like melody, harmonic progression, voice leading, instrumentation, orchestration, notation, form, contrast, etc., up until I started working on film music. Since about 2014, I focused almost entirely on film music, and in addition to trying to teach myself the technical mechanics of film scoring, software sample libraries, etc., I've also been trying to learn what type of music is expected from a film composer. Uh, from a film composer, directors love big epic brahms. Uh, before 2014, I never used a sample library, maybe an occasional synth here or there, and only composed music for live musicians, notated in Sibelius. Also, since most of the film projects I've worked on have been short, there hasn't been room to fit big, expansive eight or even four measure melodies, so I adapted to using short motives and melodic fragments to hold everything together, uh, like A-sharp, C-sharp, D-sharp, B, and spring. That was one of the things that I had, that, that he had said, was that, like, you know, there's a focus on, you know, melodic writing, and, and, it, and he's right. Like, the stuff I've written recently isn't very melodic. So this is sort of an example of, like, okay, instead of using a big melody, I use this four tiny little note motive that, to right. tie things together instead of a full melody. But, but I did that because it's like, you know, you've got two seconds, two seconds, two seconds, you know, scenes are jumping back and forth. Right. So again, it was kind of acknowledging like, yeah, you're right, but this is why I did it, you know, right or wrong. This is why I was doing right. this. And I think this is part of why, you know, it, it hurt so much hearing this is like, I used to write like that shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> right. So, okay. So that, that wasn't in the email. <laughs> so, okay. So back to the email, uh, in the Westworld chase scene, all the industrial percussion. Oh, cause this was one of the things I had a bunch of industrial percussion and he, you know, he was saying that the notation of what he was hearing didn't match what was written in the score. So all the industrial percussion was performed through native instruments evolved mutations too. And the rhythms notated were to show when certain rhythmic figures are triggered. So basically they have these industrial rhythms and you hit a key and it'll play this rhythm on a loop and then you can play other keys and it'll layer different rhythms on top with that rhythm. So the notation wasn't the rhythm that you're hearing. It was basically when you push what key and when you Uh, stop and push another key. So since this is a hybrid score, I figured that if it was to be recorded by an orchestra, those industrial percussion elements would have remained as recorded electronic elements not performed by the percussionists in the orchestra. So so again, it's not that I didn't know how to notate those rhythms. It's that, you know, if I was if an orchestra was recording this, that yeah, they wouldn't have played that part. This would have been an electronic element recorded on top of that. Gotcha. Or after however it works. Oh, we also said there were weird things with the horns. Uh, so as far as the horns, I think I was just creating the score with a staff for each instrument type for you to be able to see who was playing what 
Uh, but since it wasn't going to be performed by an actual orchestra, I didn't notate the horns in the correct traditional way. So that's another part of it, too, is these were things that I wrote, you know, to create a mock-up that was used on the film, and that's it. This wasn't right. what the, with the intention of live musicians playing it. So I did, there were some things about my notation that I didn't do in the traditional way. Gotcha. Um, so all of my, all four of my horns were on one staff. Gotcha. So then I did tell them, you know, I do know that they are supposed to be on two staves and that horn three plays higher that pitches than horn two. So that's a weird thing about French horns is that if you have four horns, one staff will be horn one and horn two. The other staff will be horn three and horn four. But when you're if you have a four note chord, it's not one plays the highest. Two is the second highest. Three is the next one down. And then four is the lowest is that uh, one horn one plays the highest note. And then the next highest note is actually played by horn three. And then the next note down by horn two and next note down by horn four. Gotcha. Um, and there, so there are different the reasons two, behind but... that. Yeah. So I just wanted to let him know, like, I, I know that. I know that yeah. that's what I'm supposed to do. <laughs> I didn't do that here because this was just to show you here's right. what's happening. You had a pro- um, The product was produced. The way you produced it had this shorthand and this specific ideology of notation. That... Right. Yeah. It's more like, like what, they'll, what they'll call sometimes a condensed score where you'll mm-hmm. take a full orchestral score and write it as a piano part. Right. Um, you know, just to kind of show here's what's going on. And then maybe you'll have notes. These are the flutes. Here's what the strings are playing. You know, you'll write that in. So this was, this wasn't that condensed, but it was, yeah, like a shorthand version. Here's what the horns are playing. I prepared the score this way for Desolation because it was performed by live orchestra. Um, and then there was an, uh, another issue he had with a rhythm that one of the drums were playing uh, on Desolation. And he said, you know, the rhythm is close in the recording, but it's not exact. And I, I sat there for like five minutes, like looping those two measures going, what is different? And look, like, am I just a, an idiot? Like, have I just completely forgot how to read and write rhythm? And the only thing I could come up with, and, and I, I also, you know, because I didn't want to be like, what did you hear? Because what I'm hearing is exactly what's written, but I didn't want to say that. So what I said was, if there's an issue with the rhythm in the recording on Desolation, it could be that either the percussionist played it wrong, which they didn't. It's so quiet that not all the notes are coming through. Because that was one of the things, too, is like, I know what the rhythm's supposed to be. Right. So even if something's soft, I'm like, yes, that's there technically. But is, like, Is that the not, live one? The one that was live yeah, performed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, okay. Yeah. Or that the bass drum is interfering with the sound of the toms. Because like the bass drum was was kind of coming in and it's like if you're hearing the bass drum as an additional tom it could sound like that's changing the rhythm because gotcha. the bass drum wasn't you know so yeah it was performed by the university of denver's lamont symphony orchestra and their new music concert and they usually only rehearse each piece for about half an hour if we're lucky so you know sorry i'm kind of throwing them under the bus but it's like yeah if you have problems with the recording not matching the score like a lot of cases that's not my fault like humans make mistakes and they may not right. play things perfectly. And he, he was also listening to that one not, I don't think, like you said, he right. didn't seem to yeah. know that that was the performed live piece. Exactly. So right. th- that that figures into it too. Yeah. Throughout my career as a composer, I have had to always adjust the way I compose based on who I'm composing for, whether I'm composing a piece for elementary school students, high school concert band, college marching band, college orchestra, professional musicians, or sample libraries. I try to compose to their strengths and weaknesses. I think that as a result, I've developed a bad habit over the last few years of only writing for sample libraries and what they can and can't do, sometimes doing weird things with the notation to get the desired effect from the sample library okay. without considering live musicians. Uh, this is also made mostly because um, all the film composing I've done so far has no hope of being recorded by live musicians, <laughs> and I knew that I was just creating a recording on my own. 
Right. I think that because I was trying to show you my more current film-related work, I may have sold myself short by not sending you what I think are my best compositions for live musicians. I thought that it would be an advantage to show that I had already done some composing for film, and I didn't see that it was discouraged. Um, yeah, because that was one of the things he mentioned. It was discouraged to send film music, but I didn't see that written anywhere. If I mm. had, I wouldn't have sent film music. <laughs> right. I mentioned three non-film composers as a way to possibly stand out from the crowd, but I guess I shot myself in the foot on that one. When I was first thinking about being a film composer, the first film composer that I was aware of who I wanted to write like was Danny Elfman because I thought he was weird, dark, and edgy. But now I wonder if I'm just a fan of his superhero music like Batman and Spider-Man. When I was a kid, even before I was thinking about being a film composer, I knew that I loved the music of Back to the Future. Through so many of the movies that I've loved throughout the years up to the work to his work on Marvel films like Captain America, Avengers, Infinity War, and Endgame, Alan Silvestri is the master of composing memorable themes while staying out of the way of the film. Uh, I also love Michael Giacchino's ability to constantly transform and develop melodic themes. So, number one, like, these three composers are, are well, and this is something I told Chris recently, like, I was like, I think I just realized that Alan Silvestri is one of my favorite film composers. Like, I've never really thought about him. Like, I've, I've kind of, I know his name, I know, you know, he's done a bunch of stuff, and he is, but but I feel like he's always under the radar. Like he's, he's not as sort of just like glorified and put on a pedestal as right. like John Williams and, and Hans Zimmer. Yeah, he's not a Danny name Elfman. in the same way. Like it's, it's not, it's right. also not forward. Right. Cause I feel like every trailer you get that boah and you get right. that big Hans Zimmer title card right. or yeah. credit card. Whereas I don't think I've ever seen Sylvester pop up in a trailer the same way. Yeah. Yeah. So let me let me just read through, you know, for 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 those of you who may be like, I feel like I've heard the name. What is, what has he done? Like, you're going to be like, oh, shit, he did that. So, yeah. So, first of all, all the way back to like Romancing the Stone, Back to the Future, <laughs> like I said, um, Cat's Eye, which is a movie that me and my sisters watched all the time as a kid. It's a collection of three Stephen King short stories. Mm. Uh, Flight of the Navigator, which was a film that I loved as a kid. I did the music for Predator. Uh, he did, um, let's see what else, The Abyss, you know, Back mm-hmm. to the Future 2 and 3, Predator 2, Young Guns, Mario Brothers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think uh, anybody is, Gump. nobody's advertising credits on the, the Mario right. Brothers live Yeah, action. right. But like, but like Forrest Gump, you know, I feel yeah, like yeah. You know, even me, it's like if you said who did the music for Forrest Gump, it would take me a minute and be like, I don't know, probably, you know, one of these guys, you know, but like, yeah. that's him. Like, you know, grumpier old men. <laughs> <laughs> Contact, which is another another you know film that I've loved. Um, Contact's great. Uh, Stuart Little, Castaway, The Mexican, oh, The Mummy wow. Returns. Um, <laughs> oh, he did Mummy Returns. Interesting. I didn't see Mummy on here. Maybe he didn't do the first one. But yeah, Mummy Returns is on here. Polar Express. You know, like like that stuff has become like staple Christmas music now. And right. that, that's Alan Silvestri, you know, Night at the Museum movies, Beowulf, that animated, the computer animated movie they made, uh, the Jim Carrey Christmas Carol. You know, that's also him. Oh, yeah. Uh, he, so, yes, we did. And he did uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. That was him. That's plus the first score. Avengers movie. That's a great score. Um, too. Yeah. Um, the Cosmos, the new Cosmos series hosted by Neil deGrasse Tyson. Like oh, that okay. theme and that music is him. Ready is that good? I haven't heard that. Um, it was good. I watched, I watched one of the seasons. Because um, I'm curious, I I like, sh- in terms of, like, Holst derivative post-John Williams Star Wars ripoff, how, how it's, he, his, he approached, like, a space theme. 
Yeah, it's it's yeah, it's not not the sort of the action adventure space theme right. like that you would have in something like Star Wars or Star Trek. Yeah. It's definitely this a little bit more um ethereal. Yeah. Um atmospheric. Uh, yeah. Nice. Yeah, it's really good. It's yeah. interesting that the the things that you're listing have like I don't quite remember the song, but I do remember like the feeling of those movies and how the music right. contributed to it. like they like contact and I mean Forrest Gump like there, there's a lot of like that opening sequence with the the, the feather, right? Like yeah, that mm-hmm. score is really like iconic. I couldn't hum it for you, but like I, once you hear it, it's like you're in in the start of that movie again. Yeah, yeah, nice. Yeah, and it's, and, and that's the thing is like yeah, like he's you know, and that was again one of the things they were kind of talking about with this program is that idea of like you know melody being being at the forefront being important so it's like you know it's like hey like i feel like this is a perfect example of that where yeah you're not you're never like blown away and sort of like distracted by the music but but it but it's there and it's you know when the melodic stuff is used appropriately like that's the thing like like i said with back to the future even as a little kid it's like like yeah let's do it let's go to the future you know like and it but it was like you know it's always done at like perfect moments where it's like okay there's action happening here and we're racing and it's oh there's uh, that great little there's a little twinkle sound like yeah. that happens mm-hmm. in the back. Like it's just this yeah. little flourish and like, yeah, there's exactly great moments you're, like that. Talk about, yeah. Like when he, I guess when he's walking to reveal like where his parents lived in the future was really nice and it was about to be constructed and it has that little twinkle. Ah, it's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. No, yeah. I love this guy. <laughs> yeah. Didn't See, know like, I loved him. <laughs> yeah. He also did ready player one. Right. Yep. You know, and uh, Avengers Infinity War and Endgame. Also, and I, I, I sent this to Zeke. I forget if you, I don't know if you saw this, but they made a musical out of Back to the Future now. What? Um, so he, you know, and yeah. And, That's and he, he did the music for that, which is great. Like, I'm glad they didn't bring in some other person to be like, oh, we're going to do all new music or something stupid like that. They're like, no, like it has great music. We're going to use that for the musical. I really want, to, <laughs> I want to know what the song is called when they're talking about his mom being into him <laughs> and having to take her to the day. <laughs> I hope they wrote in some sort of, not not that John Mulaney would play him, but a John Mulaney esque <laughs> character to just come in and deliver some of those lines. Like, <laughs> yes, God, yeah. Mulaney would do it in a heartbeat too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, he loves the theater. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, as long as I could come in and talk about too much tuna, <laughs> <laughs> he brings Kroll in too. <laughs> So yeah, so that was part of that. So I, I was trying to think of like, okay, I, I want to express that like melody is important to me too. And I, I'm acknowledging that like I, you know, there are compose, film composers that I love who have done that. And especially with, with Michael Giacchino, like, you know me, I'm not a huge jazz fan, but right. I've listened to the incredible soundtrack probably almost more than any other sound. I, I shouldn't say more than any other soundtrack, maybe on par with other soundtracks like The Matrix, because it's so damn good how he has, there's like, two little melodic fragments and like every fucking time they're different. He's constantly just like doing stuff with them. And that movie you know, cha- is still the, like the best superhero movie of all time. It feels like, like it, <laughs> it, it is so, it is so good. It's so consistent. It's such a iconic tone of storytelling and like the way it's animated, the way that story is told. But the, again, the music is outstanding. Yeah just unparalleled you know, like even I, in terms of pixar like i mean 
they started with Randy Newman. So you, you get, you get what you get in that sense. But like, <laughs> yeah. as far as like pushing the, a, a true score, like work of art, that, that is an incredible example of film score. Like absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Also, it's not like that's the only thing either. Like, I mean, I, I mean, I know he's done a lot of stuff with with J.J. Abrams, and I, I'm certainly I'm like doubting myself now, but I'm pretty sure he did the score to Lost. I, I can't remember if he worked with J.J. on on Alias if they went that far back. But then, like, you know, he did the the Star Trek reboot, you know, and yeah. so he got to kind of compose this, you know, Star Trek anthem for this new generation, and it's it's fucking brilliant and perfect, you know, and. And reminiscent and, uh, without being copying it, but it's also like yeah. pushes it without it being like an, a ripoff. Yeah, out really yeah. good, really good. Yeah, hey, I think he's done some Marvel stuff. Too. Oh no, yeah, the, the oh, Star he did Wars. Ratatouille. He did Rogue One. Yeah, yeah, Rogue One Rogue is killer. One, you know? I like yeah. Rogue One. You know, like again, like writing something that sounds like it comes from the Star Wars universe, but it is you know it's newer and it's fresh and it's a different different voice than John Williams, although. In my opinion, what they should have done is have John Williams do the score of Rogue One, since that takes place in the same time period as the original, mm. but then have Michael Giacchino do the sequels, because that's a new generation. I mean, I understand they want John Williams to do the right. whole journey of episodes one through nine, but I feel like thematically, like Michael Giacchino, like approaching those sequels, again, with that reverence to Star Wars, but with a fresh new voice yeah. in that world, would have fit like the you know scoring characters like ray and finn you know and like we're in this world and we're kind of reverent to the generation that came before us but we're a younger generation you know so i do agree but i think ray's theme from force awakens Mm -hmm. is probably the coolest thing john williams has done in the last 15 years oh yeah in my that's like i I think it, it definitely well, I mean, I the Harry Potter stuff is good as well, but like that that mm. when I heard that, it felt like the swell when Luke is looking at the twin sons on Tatooine before yeah. the the adventure starts. That mournful French horn line, mm-hmm. like it had it had the same gravitas, and mm-hmm. so and <laughs> we're going to talk about John Williams a little bit later. <laughs> bum, 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 bum. So I have good. the perfect theme for the wedding between Short Round and the Z-Walk. <laughs> but by the way, I have I have two two um, Easter eggs in that skit. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that I noticed. Excellent. Um, <laughs> oh, I hope I think I know one of them. I hope I hope we're on the same page about one. Probably of them. <laughs> one of them is a little obvious, and I think I've mentioned it before. But there was one that I just noticed when I listened to it the other night. Okay, that I never noticed before, <laughs> and it's only because of the ones that you sent me that I listened to. Okay, all right. Um, so. We'll get to that. <laughs> Um, I love that we're teasing so, so anyway, the, the so, whitest kids. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Stick around. Find out after this commercial break. <laughs> so it was kind of cool, like, to, you know, kind of make me, like, reevaluate that, like, in, like, you know, hey, like, look, I, I learned something about myself. I have a new favorite film composer, you know. And and it's like, you know what? I'm going to dig in and listen to more of his work because I feel like if I'm, I'm trying to learn more about how to approach film music, it's not listening to other people my age or younger who are also trying to be film composers it's the people who are doing it you know like who are who have been doing it who are great at it and you know and yeah you may not know their name but you definitely know the movies they've done and you love those movies and you love the scores you just don't happen to you know know, like i said he doesn't happen to for some reason have that same household name the way hans zimmer and john williams do and danny elfman you know it's kind of cool that like i i started thinking that this discussion was going to be really sad and make me angry, but it seems like it's almost rekindled 
like an early fire for you. It's like reassessing where your focus is and what you really want to do and how you want things to come through. Like it actually really like a lot of credit should go to this guy. Like this is, this is important. Like that's a good teaching moment, right? Like what a great, go ahead. Sorry. Well, I was just going to say, and that's, that's what, well, I mean, that's kind of what gets to the end, but that's like what, yeah, what was, it was, it was the positive spin I put on this, but then it's like, fuck this makes me really want to work with this guy yeah <laughs> he's like yeah absolutely yeah for sure so like yeah and like and that was one of the things like this is this is the type of teacher i want who's gonna be like this is what you're doing wrong this is what you need to do differently you know not someone who's gonna you know it's like i'm not i'm not in my 20s anymore where i think i'm the best that i am at what right. i do yeah like I'm, I'm obviously past that point you know and it's like I'm, I'm more at the point where it's like you know and, and that's kind of the realization i had before i went to du too is like i'm here because I can't figure out what to do to make myself better. I need someone to tell me like, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you need to do. And that's, that's what I want with this too. Almost done. A few more paragraphs. I mentioned, you know, as far as my portfolio, including a live performance, as I mentioned above, the recording of Desolation that I submitted was of a performance of the University of Denver's Lamont Symphony Orchestra in one of their new music concerts. I don't expect this to change your mind. I just didn't want you to think that I don't know how to follow directions. Because <laughs> <laughs> that was part of it, too. It's like, I don't want them to think I'm an idiot or an asshole. Like, we said submit a live recording and you didn't. It's like, no, I did. Like, you know, I, I get it. label it that way. It. Yeah. Yeah, they're just good. <laughs> kudos. Or, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a kudos to that. <laughs> well, if it sounds because well, that's the thing is a lot of people be like, oh, you know, mock-ups never sound as good as a real orchestra. <laughs> so the fact that they thought a real orchestra was a mock-up, but like, yikes. <laughs> oh, that's cold. <laughs> uh, We're getting a lot um, of behind baseball, right? Or like behind the scenes on this. I like that. Yeah. Inside baseball, behind the scenes. Right. That's the, those are the phrases <laughs> people say. Hello, fellow those humans. Are the words people use. <laughs> Ah, human music. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, real so, quick, Rick and Morty tangent. Yeah. Did you see the promo for this the the, the last no. episode of this season? So they cut a promo with Portal opens in a real garage and two cute like real life actors step out as Rick and oh, Morty. Oh, I saw the picture of that. I didn't know that that was It's Chris Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd. Doc yeah. Brown is fucking Rick. <laughs> well, that's who they were awesome. modeled after originally, right? Yeah, yeah so absolutely. that's great that it's come full circle now. That's yeah, like it, the most meta shit, and you know I love meta I shit. Know, I that's know, that's why I was like, <laughs> it's outstanding. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I saw that picture. I thought that was just a fan thing that someone right. made with Photoshop. Like, I didn't realize that that was, oh, shit. No, he came out, like, and, and he, that's they, awesome. they talk. I don't know if they're going to be in the episode, but they, they label it like, this is the Rick from this earth. So that's canon is that that's the real life. Rick is Doc Brown. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. So cool. All right. Uh, sorry. It's unfortunate. I mean, yeah. And I saw the kid, like, I was like, well, that doesn't look like Michael J. Fox, but then again, like, yeah, like Mike, right. you know, it's, it's, it's harder to fake like Michael J. Fox. He's, right. he's a grown ass man now. He's not like a child, but it would have been fun to see if they did it with some CGI or something like that. Right. Like, okay, what did Michael J. Fox look like as a kid and have that to make that reference? You oh, know, no, they should get test. Michael J. Fox to be Jerry. What if he's oh, Jerry? That would be great. That would be great. <laughs> Just like they did with the boys where, you know, the, oh. that uh, what's his name was in the comics looks like Simon Pegg. So they got Simon mm. Pegg to play that character's yep. dad. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> We've already gotten to the uh, ideas that don't go anywhere right there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Rick and Morty. Okay. 
Cut back, cut back. <laughs> okay, didn't so follow directions. The... Yep, that... right. <laughs> uh, thank you again for taking the time to respond and read this, and for your honesty. Uh, I definitely learned a lot about what I need to do going forward, and you confirmed a growing suspicion that I've had. By trying to become what my impression of a good film composer is, I've become a worse composer. I look forward to doing some long overdue soul searching about what musical elements I consider to be important and what type of music I want to compose in the future. And then my final paragraph is, you know, again, I don't expect it to alter your decision, but since you offered, I feel like I should at least take a shot. So I'm a, I attached three different pieces, uh, Fanfare in March, was the first piece I composed for a large ensemble. It was commissioned and performed by the Woonsocket High School Concert Band in Rhode Island, and it was composed about halfway through my undergrad program at the University of Rhode Island. Firebird was commissioned by the Ocean State Chamber Orchestra and was based on the children's book Firebird by Rachel Isadora. Compliments 5 was composed for a fellow grad student while I was at the University of Denver. This was one of the last pieces I composed before focusing entirely on film and video game music. These three pieces were all composed before I owned a single sample library and they were all performed by live musicians. And then I submitted, you know, those those scores and those recordings. And then he did write back, like, right after, and he, I guess he's at the, the – so here's a funny uh, – to this – so when I was telling Krista about this, I was like, oh, he's at the Telluride Film Festival. She's oh, like, shit. oh, like, that's here. I was like, oh, I didn't – you know, I, I'm bad with geography. I didn't know that's in Colorado. I was like, maybe I should go. And she's like, no, that would that, be kind of stalkerish. And I'm like, no, no, it's fine. Bring he told CD. me he's going to be there. I was like, he told me he's going to be there. She's like, yeah, that's something a stalker would say. <laughs> And then I was like, I went in the kitchen and I kind of peeked halfway around the door. I was like, this is how I'll be at the, the, the thing. I did like the buster, like not seen and not heard, like looking at him from like behind, half behind a wall. He's a Milford man. Yeah. <laughs> now that'd be um, great. Like, like one of the guys on 16th street with the, the mixtape they made themselves. <laughs> yeah. They handed to you. It's like, Oh, this is free, but we're taking donations. <laughs> So, yeah, so I'm not going to the Telluride Film Festival to stuck. But, yeah, so, but, I mean, you know, again, it was nice for him to get back to me, at least be like, look, I'm not going to get to this anytime soon, right. but, you know, you know, we'll look at it. So, so that's kind of where it is now. And, and, and yeah, that was a, a thing I had been thinking about is like, you know, and I, I forgot to, this was one of my original thoughts was that I wanted to say how I feel like Mr. Holland for Mr. Holland's opus when his wife kind of like scolds him because he's like, he's writing, working on music for like the high school, like musical production or something. And she's like, Oh, just work on your music. And he's like, my music, when do I get to work on my music? You know? And it's like to her, like he's doing the thing he wants to do, but none of this is the music he wants to be composing. Right. This is all the stuff he has to compose. Cause he's a teacher and for yeah. school. And I was like, fuck, that's, that's been me lately. Like I've been doing lots of music, but none of it's me sitting there going, what's the music I want to write. You know, I've been constantly, uh, you know, and I've had this idea in my head about, you know, film scoring not being, you know, if you're a film composer, you're not an artist, you're a craftsman, you know, or craftsperson, mm. you know, you're not trying to, it's not about your expressive voice, what you want to say, it's about how, you know, you saying what's going to fit the director's vision. And not that I entirely disagree with that now, but it's also kind of like, you know, or in other things I've watched where it's like, oh, you know, you know, this kind of idea about developing your own voice and i guess part of me was also like well whatever notes i choose to put on the page like that's my voice like i'm not writing something i don't want to write you know right. it's still within parameters i'm making my own decisions and that therefore makes it mine i mean unless i'm purposely trying to rip off someone else you know or if i if i do something where i am trying to reference a composer it's a composer who is one of my you know influences you know something that you know 
Um, you know, I'm not taking a composer that I hate and being like, okay, I'm going to sound like this person and I would never write music like this, but I've got to do it for the job, you know, but just in general, like, yeah, I've, I've forgotten how to just write the music I want to write. And like he was saying, and like, I've agreed with like put together like an eight bar musical phrase. It's actually a complete idea, you know, like write a theme that kind of takes you on this little bit of a journey. And then like, if you're scoring a full film, sure, you may take snippets of that to reference things. But, you know, like when I'm working on a a clip for a contest, that's a minute long and it's like, okay, I should have a theme for this character, but you're never going to hear that theme fully played out because that theme would take 20 to 30 seconds. And you only ever see that character in two second increments. So you've got to, okay, here's two notes that are going to, you know, tell you who that character is, you know, but like, yeah, I think it's just damaged my, my sense of how to just write good music in general, you know? So, yeah. So that's kind of one of the things I kind of took away from this too, is like, I think I'm going to maybe step away from actively, not, not for, from wanting to do film music, but, right. but to start, stop kind of taking every little scrap that comes my way. Like, Oh, here's 30 seconds. I'm going to score this. Like, no, like I, I'm not going to learn anything from that. I'm not going to grow as a composer scoring a little 30 second clip of, you know, whatever, you know, I mean, you know, if I, like, I'm still going to do the Thrawn film because I feel like, okay, right. if I'm doing a feature length film, yeah. now I get to stretch my legs a little bit. I get to, okay, you know, have longer themes that I can then reference and, you know, play in shortened parts, but then put together at the end, you know, things like that, you know, have an, um, somewhat of a musical form other than, you know, okay, it's, it's, it's going to be a minute and a half long and it's going to hit all these different emotion changes, you know, like, which, you know, sure, that may happen in one scene of something, but I feel like, you know, uh, again, if you've already done the work to, to have written these these big, broad themes, and now you're referencing that material, that's different than only writing kind of this uh, uh, schizophrenic type music where for two seconds it's this, then it jumps to this, then it jumps back here, and you never get a complete idea. Um, so, so yeah. And again, like that, that's kind of where it comes around to her. It's like, wow, that's great that I learned so much from him in this one email. And it's like, shit, that's the type of person I want to be learning from for a year straight. Who's going to whip me into shape. Um, so, so now again, now we're back in another waiting pattern, holding pattern of what's he going to say about this music? Like, is he going to listen to it? Be like, no, this is trash too. Uh, then, okay, like fine, you know, move on. But then now there's a part of me that like, what if he listens to this? And it's like, oh, okay, this is what I'm looking for. Like, yeah, you can do our program next year. And then I'm like, well, shit, do I do Berkeley this year or not? Like, because I think I read somewhere you can't get two of the same degree from two different schools. So I think if I get a master's in Uh film scoring from Berkeley, I don't think I can go back to them and get another master's in film scoring. Oh, gotcha. Um, Or maybe that has to do with loans or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I I don't imagine you could get financial aid for two of the same. Yeah. That's a, that's a hard place to be. Well, it, it's super cool that like this dude mentored you already. Like he's already yeah. started that yeah. journey. Like I, I in a, a classic uh, Joel one eighty moments. <laughs> I started. <laughs> how many how many conversations do we start where I'm like, oh, yeah. well that's that makes it different from how I reacted initially. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, and and what's funny too is that's the same reason too that I didn't talk to Krista about it until last night because oh, I wow. found out Tuesday night and I was that's like, a long time was to like, sit with I, wow, yeah, like I I I wanted to process it myself first of all, just you know because like like okay, this is a a huge hit, you know, 
and 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 of course she did you know kind of like you like i i you know i i know that's the thing my friends will sort of you know run to my rescue and be like fuck that guy you know and that was exactly the thing she's like i love you and i hate everyone else you know anyone else who wrongs you is like it's like yes i know that and i I get that i appreciate that i love that but it's like you know i i don't think i would have gone through this process if it was like you know so much of this like you know, oh, woe is me kind of thing. Right. Like someone wronged me. And it's like, he's a teacher and that's his job, you know? And I, I appreciate that again in my, in my older age, you know, probably when I was 20, it would have crushed me, you know, or I would have just, you know, said he doesn't know what he's talking about, you know, as, as so many 20 year old, you know, cishet white men do, <laughs> you know, like anyone who contrasts what, you know, contradicts what I say as a 20 year old has got to be wrong or dumb, or something, you know? <laughs> But it's like, well, I've grown past good. that. And it's like, you know, no, like, he's right. This is his job. This is why I'm going to him, because I want him to tell me these things, you know. I just want him to tell me more of these things. Right. I want to have that opportunity. <laughs> well, that, I mean, it's the stand-up sensibility, right? You have to bomb. And you have to tell yourself. It, it's a combination of both. It, is no, fuck everybody else. I know what I'm doing is, is working towards something. I know that I have this in me. But it's also listening to the feedback and, and using it to go for Because that's the thing, like... A stand-up has to bomb and come back the next night. Otherwise, they're not a stand-up. That's that's what has to, to happen is you have right. to take the feedback on and you have to put yourself out there again on the chopping block. So, it, yeah, that's it's going to be really fun going back to edit this and listening to myself like, oh, honey, you don't even know yet. Hang on. Let the man talk. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. <laughs> You're just talking to talk. Stop. <laughs> let, let him tell you what actually happened. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like I said, I do appreciate that. I do appreciate that. Like, you know, all my, all my friends, you know, will care about me and will come to my rescue in that sense, you know, and glad that it happened in the middle of the night when Krista was already asleep, you know, maybe if it was during the day, you know, I wouldn't have been able to like hide it as well and kind right. of deal with it on my own. If, you know, if she was sitting across from me at her desk, like, Oh, what's wrong? You're, you know, so it was good to kind of just have to sit and wrestle with that in bed, you know, when I couldn't sleep for a while. And part of me, I, I almost wish I had taken out my iPad and just like, you know, in the Google doc started writing it then, but I was more like, okay, I'm going to write an email tomorrow. And then of course it got put off another day. So it took a few days for me to actually write the email and send the email, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, again, I think it was, it was good. It was part of the processing. <sighs> so, yeah. So now it's a matter of, you know, you know, one of the options is he could get back to me and be like, like I said, like, yeah, this is great. We're still full up this year, but you can do next year. In which case do I, do I say, okay, never mind Berkeley, you know, cause they've still been kind of doing in the process of letting me know about financial aid. So, I mean, even though I've accept, been accepted to the school and I told them, I was like, look, I don't just need this much money that you say I'll probably get. Like I need the whole thing plus some, because I have to buy all this gear too. And I gave them a list of the gear I have to buy all the least expensive versions. Like, this is how much money I need to afford this program. So yeah, so I'm still kind of waiting on that. But like, you know, then is it like, well, should I still just do this pro the Berkeley program now so I can get it done, get the degree, get the knowledge about the the more technical side of film scoring, but still keeping in mind all the stuff that he said and be like, yeah, like make sure you're still writing good music, you know, and, you know, be more, maybe be more choosy about the projects I work on, you know, or maybe how I approach them. And that's the thing too, is like some of the contests where I've watched that I've done that I've watched some of the entries, it seems like they'll have like more, kind of expansive music that will maybe reach one arrival point in the clip Mm -hmm. and the mood of the film will be kind of switching back and forth, but the music is just kind of doing this one steady arc leading to that one arrival point. It's like, 
should I approach it that way instead of hitting all of these changing scenes and changing emotions that are happening and, and getting out of the way of dialogue and things like that, which those are the things that I've always told are important with film scoring. You shouldn't be, you know, covering up the dialogue because like, no, my, my melody is so important. This is where it peaks. I don't right. care that you have words here. You know, that's something I've tried to do. Or if there's a lot of dialogue, I just won't have melody at all. I'll have like chords and maybe an ostinato, something just kind of to create a mood underneath, you know, underscoring. But it's like I'm I'm not going to put a melody unless it has room to be the most important thing rather than having a melody that I'm trying to subdue underneath the dialogue to me. Like and that's the way I've looked at it is like the dialogue is the melody. You know, right. you're you're accompanying the dialogue if there's no dialogue. And then, you know, sure, that's when you get to write your melody. But then again, that's also that could be when there are sound effects and now they can't hear what you're doing anyway because there are explosions happening. <laughs> you know, right. so it's like I almost want you to like to take take the year and like soul search and like just write your best shit and get back to where you were creatively, like, and then come in to the program that you really want at Pacific Northwest. And just then, then you're there and you're not having to backtrack and spend a year do like it, it's, it'll be assignments and stuff. And you, you, again, you'll be putting off your voice for another year in a certain sense. Yeah. That that's kind of, just based on what you're telling me. Like that's my knee jerk reaction. Is like Tim is the fire is lit, yeah. man. Don't let anybody else put it out. Like you ride that as far as you can because those moments yeah. are are what we live for. That's that's the shit we really need. You know. Yeah, and I, you're absolutely right. And that that is one of the things that I have thought about. And I think the only reason why I'm still like, oh, maybe I could still do Berkeley is I think like it. I, and you're right about my time getting taken up with assignments, but I also feel like they, a lot of them I think are going to be very different because there is a lot of technical stuff. And that's part of what's bogging me down now is still figuring out things like, you know, the ins and outs of the software and reverb and EQ and, you know, you know, all, all of this, this stuff that is like, you know, the production end of things like the, the thing I'm working on now, it's already been composed and arranged and I'm just trying to create a good mock-up in logic and it's taking fucking forever. Cause I since mm. spend so much time like tweaking all these levels and panning just to kind of make things sit in the mix the way I want them to. Yeah. And it's like, if, if this was a live orchestra, like all that would be done first of all, by how they're sitting, you know? Yeah. And then second of all, the conductor would be like, okay, flutes, we need more from you. I can't hear your strings come down to let the flute, you know, like, all that stuff is done in the recording or, or if you're recording with a live orchestra in, you know, a sound booth, then it's done with the mixing because all the instruments are individually mic'd. So then they can bring the flutes up and the strings down that way. It's not me sitting there tweaking it endlessly. You know, yeah, that's time spent me kind of producing this mock-up, not writing new music, you know? And that's something I've just struggled with in general with a lot of this stuff is like, you know, being before it was about being a composer and then, you know, being an engraver because you've got to hand your sheet music off to the musicians and i'm i'm fine with that like that's something i've i've worked on for years probably decades at this point and it's like i'm comfortable with that i'm comfortable with knowing how things are supposed to look so that they can be performed correctly Mm -hmm. but yeah this this other thing you know working in logic is a whole new thing for me you know and doing all those things watching these youtube videos about oh how to have a more realistic sounding strings and one video says do this another video says do this so i'm doing a combination of the two and then it sounds like shit still it's like okay is it because i'm trying to do two you know and it's like um so part of me is like it would help if i could learn from an actual teacher saying do this to make this happen and then if i have a question i can ask them and they go oh it's because you did this you need to do that you know like that that's a big part of why i want 
to do the masters in film scoring is not, I mean, not to say that I don't need instruction on how to write better music for film, but I know I definitely need help in the technical aspect of things or even just the industry part of it. You know, and that's one of the things that's been awkward too, is like, as I try to learn more about what's expected of film composers in the real world, like, you know, we've talked about doing spotting sessions before, and I actually got to do one of those on one of my films and it was great. But like, I feel like a lot of directors don't know that that's a thing. And they're Ah. just kind of waiting for you to give them a track that will magically fit into their film. And it's like, no, I need to know what you want to happen where. Like, sit down with me and tell me what you want. Like, I'm, you know, this is everything I've been told about film scoring is that the bad film composers ignore what directors say. I'm trying to help me help you, you know, like, I feel like maybe, you know, if I had a degree, I'd have the credence to be like, this is how we're supposed to approach putting music to film. You know, like, you may not know this, but you know, this is the part of the industry that I'm now well-versed in, you know, whereas now it's like, I don't know enough of that stuff. And, you know, I I don't want to get a job doing a real film where all the directors do know what they're talking about and they're expecting this thing from me. And I don't know that that thing exists because no one ever taught me. So yeah, you're right. And that's definitely one of the things I'm considering. And that, that would be great too. Um, I'd just be curious. Like, I wonder if there, I mean, there's probably like logic specific courses and yeah, that, there's some that on Indeed be... actually too. Like, I'm uh, sorry, not Indeed, LinkedIn Learning. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. what I was gonna say because they have that for Studio One. I mm-hmm. since I have access to that through my job, I was doing it for a while, and then my software wasn't up to date enough for the things that they were doing, mm-hmm. and then I upgraded, so now I could do it, but I haven't had time. But like that, that was really cool to see. Just somebody, it's different. Less like it's not a live person that you could ask the question of, but it at least was like, oh that makes it so much simpler than I've been scouring YouTube and everybody is doing it specific for what they need it for rather than what my needs are. So yeah. Yeah. And that's exactly it too, is that like with something like LinkedIn learning, like there's a level of, you know, peer review, someone has to be approved to post this. So they must have some credentials as opposed to any person on YouTube being like, here's how to do this in logic. And it's like, is that actually how to do something or is that just something you did and it happened to work out that way, but it's not the best way or it's actually fucking up three other things that I won't realize till later because you did it this way, you know, like, yeah, on YouTube, it's very much like, I know with guitar gear stuff, I, I trust the opinions of the guys. I, the people I like the most who are demoing the pedals. So they, they could have like the most expensive rig ever, and the reason it sounds so good is because they're using these thousand right. dollar equipment yeah. rather than like it being that way for everybody who's going to pick it up and use it. So I, I know that's also part of it is like LinkedIn, you're like, okay, I trust the delivery. They're competent enough to to give this information in a teaching sense, but it's also yeah. consistent and accurate because it has to go through that kind of vetting. Yeah. It's not just, I like the way this guitarist talks. <laughs> right. Or like, I don't know why this is like this, but I like the sound of it. And that's what's right. important. So just do it for that reason. Right. I'm doing it because I like the sound of it, but you should do it because I like the sound of it. <laughs> and that's the thing, like, <laughs> I, I'm not going to, as people who are, are creating content, we hope other people will like. The, the <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can't knock the hustle of those guys on YouTube. It's just like you use yeah. different ones for different things that's yeah yeah and i i'd wonder if that might be that would be cheaper and you already have logic and you wouldn't need like the the monitors or any of the the extra stuff if you got like a, a linkedin learning s like 
try and as granular a level as you can with how to set those things up. Cause like when you're setting up the, the bus tracks and like what the levels should be and all of that stuff, like a yeah, lot of I don't people, know what a bus is. I still don't, I don't know what a bus is. I don't is. know either. I have no idea. I, the, and no one will tell me it's like, Oh, do this bus. I'm like, what is that? And it's like, I'll do a search for like bus. And it's of course like a school bus. And it's like, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> But that's like if if we could get into the grand, like they're telling you exactly how those things work and what they are, that'd be a lot cheaper and it'd probably take less than a year and you could be just applying that to the creative explosion that's about to happen. I want you to go to Pacific yeah. Northwest now because this dude negged yeah. you into brilliance. Like I'm, <laughs> it's so crazy. And that that's why it's so important to get feedback. I know that, I I mean, I applied to a lot of PhD programs after I got my master's or like as I was finishing up my master's and it was thanks, but no thanks. Thanks, but no thanks. And it wasn't anything about like, they they just didn't take the time. I, I, some, like I said earlier, like certain institutions don't have time for that and also don't review things. There's so many applications that they have to review that they don't have time to do that. The fact that he took the time to do that is is such a great that's such a a desired quality of an instructor to take yeah. that time. That I mean, I, I want you to go there now. <laughs> like Yeah. Well, so yeah, so that's the thing is like unfortunately I do have to just wait again. Right. But you know, that that is I think, you know, kind of what I'm looking for as the, and maybe, you know, every now and then when I choose to believe that there is some kind of plan in this fucked up chaos. <laughs> that maybe that's why this financial aid stuff has taken so long with Berkeley is because like, if, if I had already had my money already took it, signed up for classes, paid for them. And then this happened. And then he's like, Oh yeah. Based on your second portfolio, we've accepted you. It's like, fuck now I'm already in it with Berkeley, you know, now it's too late. So maybe, maybe I'll find out from him before all of that has to be kind of finally set in stone Mm -hmm. and that might still be a possibility or like i said maybe he'll say like no this still isn't good enough and then it's like okay like there's nothing i can do about it now i mean there is that third option like you mentioned if i take another year to write a bunch of music resubmit a new portfolio for next year like that's an option too i think that's what's causing a lot of the stress is the decision part of it like if berkeley contacted me on tuesday and was like this is how much money we can give you. That's it. And it's only half of the tuition. Then I'd be like, okay, I can't do it. Done. Decision made, you know, uh, but what I'm afraid of is that, you know, I'm going to hear from him. He's going to say like, yeah, this is good. If you want to do it next year. And then Berkeley is going to say, yeah, we gave you enough money. If you want to go to school right now. And then it's like, Oh fuck. Now it's up to me to decide, you know, um, which is probably going to happen because that's the way it works is that I'm going to have that happen. Decision. I think you've already made the decision though. I think like yeah, the way you, right. <laughs> you've are, like, I think, you know, that's the guy you want to work with yeah. from Nor- Northwest. And I like, I'm, I'm just anxious for you to get to make the decision. I, I hate being in the holding pattern. Like you do, like, just give yeah. me the decision to make. I don't have a problem making decision. Once I know that there aren't any more hypotheticals, it's just right. a or B. <laughs> yeah. And that's another point too, is that there are levels of difficulty of the decision to make. There's right. He gets back to me and says, Yes, you're approved if you want to go next year. And now I have to decide to definitely going to Pacific Northwest next year and doing Berkeley now. Or if he says, no, you're still not approved. And it's like, do I have the fire to say, well, I'm going to create the best portfolio possible and try again next year. 
But if I do that, I could miss out on, you know, and then if I still don't get accepted, I don't get to go there and I don't get to go to Berkeley. The other thing to consider too is I don't know that they're going to be doing limited in-person, whatever the thing, uh, I forget what they call it. Oh, gotcha, um, gotcha. The, the hybrid you know, style. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if they're going to be doing that forever. So I could decide like, I'll wait till next year. And next year they could be like, no, it's fully in person now. And then it's like, okay. uh, I mean, I guess if all else fails, I could reapply to Berkeley. And, yeah. you know, do that now, or, or see if I could at very least like defer my enrollment till next year, just to kind of, again, keep them on the hook. Um, That's what I was just thinking is like, you could defer to Berkeley. And then if you get into Pacific Northwest next year, then you just yeah. say no. Like that's, yeah. that's what they, they, also, they designed. That's the whole thing. It's a business, right? Yeah. College is a business. They want mm-hmm. your money. So they're not, if you, if they, if you say, Hey, I'll give you the money next year. They'll, yeah. they'll keep it on lock and it's, it's on you. You can say yes or no at that time too. So like, remember that like they have a lot of power in giving you the decision to make, but you, you're the customer. They yeah. really want the money. That's so. right. I am always right. Cause I'm the customer in this sense. Finally, I get to be, the you customer. get to be the customer. I get to be the Karen. <laughs> Let me talk to your manager. <laughs> oh, and there's the cold open right there. <laughs> well, that, that was way more uplifting than I thought it was going to be. That's, that's awesome, man. Like I, and that's the thing. Like I, I love your stuff, period. But like, I am super well, excited you. to see the shit that you write now because you're going to be like, you know what? It's back to, it's back to where I wanted to to be. I mean, this is my voice, and like, I I yeah. think you have a voice. We're recording it right now. But like, but- <laughs> I, I I am so excited now that you have this this like this fire. Like, it's going to be the, the as good as the shit has been. It's only going to be better now. I'm I'm very very excited. Well, and, and one of the things I'm thinking of doing next, too, is like what we talked about before with that whole, like, you know, song a day thing. Yeah. But, you know, not using the loops now. Like, okay, like you have a day to write a short song in Logic, but this it's your own music now. Like, okay, mm-hmm. so now you, you get a chance. Okay, an eight bar A melody, an eight bar B melody, an eight bar C melody, you know, like like put these things together. And actually a while ago, too, there's a few new, there's a new company I've been buying sample libraries from. And uh, for a while, I've wanted to write something for their collection of libraries because there's just like the ones that I bought are on the cheaper side. They're not their like hardcore symphonic ones. It's like, oh, here's this low ass men's choir, you know, (laughs) Uh, it's called like, you know, uh, something like Voices of War, Men of the North. And it's like supposed to have this, I think, like Icelandic choir thing. I'm like, that's awesome. And I got these, you know, I got another one where it's something like. 12 horns playing in unison or something like that. And it's like, Oh, and I got like, but also a solo violin, a solo cello library. So it's like this really cool mix of textures. And part of it's, you know, again, based on the the nature of like that library where it's like men of the North. So it has this, you know, and I think, the, the the user interface is like this picture of a dragon on a shield and it's like okay viking but it just it, it helps conjure this imagery in me where i'm just like i can almost hear like the stuff i want to write for these libraries and kind of put something together like for them and you know again just what i want to write not for a film not for anyone else's instructions just because i'm inspired by these libraries you know so that was sort of one of my next ideas to work on and kind of doing that in that and like I said, instead of song a day where I'm doing one every single day, but the song in a day where it's right. like you have to finish a song in one day, you may not 
you may only do one a week, but you're going to finish it in a day instead of spending three weeks on one three minute track, you know? And I think that'll help me get back to like, you know, again, working on the, the, the songwriting or compositional process, not tweaking all the fucking knobs and everything, um, you know, and be like, oh, do I need some EQ here? Do I need some, re-? you know, I mean, I'll, I've learned how to quickly just slap on a basic reverb. So I'll do that, you right. know, and I've noticed that difference, but like the difference between this reverb and that reverb and this company. And, and it's just like, whatever, you know, which I think, I, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I've, I've come to realize, I think why, why I struggle with the idea of reverb so much and why I think some other people, I, I, I feel like guitarists probably know more about reverb in general than any other instrumentalist. We, and, we and it's never occurred reverb. to me. To, yeah. Well, no, but it's because like, it's probably, it's been part of your instrument like yeah. for the whole time. Like how often does a flute player have to think about reverb? How right. often does a cello player have to yep. think about reverb? Like they don't me as a drummer in every band I was in, I was just playing the drums, but it was the guitarist in their amp with, okay, the reverb and this and right. that and the pedals. So it's always been there. And I wonder how many of the people who are now engineers, like started off as guitarists. And that's right. why like they have this affinity for reverb and, and their ears are so finely tuned to different styles of reverb, which to me, it's like, uh, I, I think one time I finally like heard the difference, like, oh, and I made that connection with, well, yeah, like your your guitar isn't sort of producing the same, you know, resonance the same way a cello produces resonance, right. like in a concert hall, especially like if you're playing electric and you're on a stage right. playing through amps anyway. Like, so it's, it's, you know, so that, that makes sense to me. You're trying to bring the life that say an acoustic guitar would have making actual like acoustic, you know, uh, uh, reverb on its own in a space you're trying to simulate that with your electric guitar playing through an amplifier so like i get now why there are people who know so much about it and i guess i'm using that as an excuse well this is why i don't know about (laughs) reverb like well no it's it's like like, you know it's it's the the led zeppelin thing like from it might get loud like the reverb on levy breaks is they just set up in the central area where there's yeah and that's yeah Mm-hmm. So that was the reverb on the drums. Right. There's no one tweaking knobs. There's right. no one putting in different plugins, you know. And... and that's the thing. Like, in order for Jimmy to get that sound and that room size in his amp, he didn't play that live and they didn't record it live in that hallway the same way. They had to reproduce it through some sort of effect to give it that huge, tall, res like, reverb yeah presence that's the thing like i'm always trying to get i want like ed sullivan's show like i want 60s ed sullivan show i want that reverb sound what it sounds like in that studio that's always what i'm trying to to dial in i don't know how that even if it's consistent but in my head that's always what I'm like this is what it sounded like on this the ed sullivan right. show like another thing that occurred to me too is like i wonder how much of that also has to do with the fact that when you're playing through an amp it's so directional you know, right, right, right. like when a cello plays a note, it's it's coming from everywhere. But right. an amp, it's going forward from the speaker. I mean, it's going out a little too, right. but it's not 360 degrees, you know. So, so yeah, huge... like I get it. I get why yeah. there's a need for it. I get, you know, why you get like, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a part of your sound, of your right. signature sound. It's I one just, of my favorite I things have... about my amp is I have a one knob reverb. And I love that because I can go tiny little room, big mm-hmm. fucking room. Nothing in the middle, no EQs, no decay rate. I've got a bigger re- reverb now. It's from J.S. 
JHS is like series three, like, like very basic, very affordable, well-built pedals. It's supposed to make it easy. It's got three knobs. I'm used to one. Yeah. <laughs> Zero or 11. That's where the reverb right. is. I don't know where these other knobs were. <laughs> the knob so. is analog, but your options are digital. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they've got huge rigs of like, there's tanks, reverb tanks that they have, where oh, it's gosh. like this block box with like a spring in it and it sends the wave of the sound through the spring and it reproduces mm-hmm. like it's crazy like yeah. the and gu- guitarists are like ooh we can make whatever room we want wherever we are <laughs> yeah great so so yeah so I, I i get it and i have that understanding of it now um and again i think with with me like writing for an ensemble like you're writing for the instruments they're playing in a hall or wherever they're playing like you don't have control as the composer over the hall that's being performed right. in or you know like when i started using sample libraries they were recorded uh, in a concert hall so like right. you're getting some natural reverb from a lot of them that were from the hall they were in so right. it's like i never i never listened to it and was like oh this sounds flat and dry like it sounds live to me because that's how it was recorded um but that's apparently not enough for some people. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and and I get the idea of using reverb to to make it sound like sample libraries from different companies recorded in different spaces are in the same space. Right. Like yeah. I get that, which is why I'll just slap reverb in on like the output and be like, everything is playing through this one reverb. Mm-hmm. I hope that's good enough. You know? <laughs> right. Anyway, this doesn't have to become a, a gear production discussion, but that's, well, you know. But again, I'm that's saying, what I'm saying is that's the stuff I want to learn. Like, I know yeah. I have to do that. I want to learn how to do it, but I want to learn it efficiently, you know. Yeah. I'm just thinking our reverb discussion is, again, one of our uh, topics that don't go anywhere. Right, we, don't, yeah. we don't have to do the go-home <laughs> segment because we've done yeah. it twice already. <laughs> and we, we've talked transitions. about reverb, <laughs> and Tim has learned nothing. <laughs> <laughs> We know Joel likes one knob reverb. That's about all we've learned from this segment. <laughs> one thing I did learn a cool trick, and this is one of the little tidbits I keep in my head, is that if you want like an instrument to sound closer, you, you like use the same reverb as the other instruments, but use less reverb so that it's a drier oh, okay. sound will make it come forward in the mix, whereas a wetter sound will make it go backwards in the mix. Oh, so it's like, oh, this is a violin solo. They're closer to the front of the stage, so they wouldn't have as much reverb as everyone else in the back. Um, so... That's something I've learned that's like, oh, that makes sense to me, and yeah. I can implement that. Except that most of the reverb I've looked at, it's not just like, here, how much do you want? It's like 50 knobs. Yep. And I'm like, what do all these do? <laughs> and I saw it, it has a dry knob. I'm like, I thought the point of reverb was to make it more wet. Why would you put on reverb to make it drier? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so the dry, there, there's certain ones where the dry signal is added as another layer. So you have the the waveform of the sound of your instrument by itself is the dry, and you mm-hmm. can have that layered on top of the ambient wet sound. So as it gets more dramatic, you can pull in more of that to give the tone more uh, okay. presence within so, it. So would that be like in what I was just saying, like you could add more dry to bring the instrument forward? Yeah, as opposed or to, or to make it less more... wet? Right, right. Yeah, it's okay. making it, I, it. It's it's aimed at having it ring through clearer. Okay. So without using losing any of the ambience, you get the clarity of the original signal as well. That's okay. That makes sense. Yeah, because you wouldn't want to. Yeah, you wouldn't want to lose the resonance of the reverb. You just want that 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 part to speak more directly and clearly and more. Yeah. Okay, I get that. So Welcome I did learn to gear something. gab. <laughs> <laughs> 
a series of one minute explorations of how audio effects work. <laughs> well, that's, that's so really transition. exciting. But transitions. <laughs> and now for something completely. No, that's a different sketch show. Trevor Moore, Whitest Kids You Know, passed away recently. I, I really liked Trevor. I really liked The Whitest Kids You Know. It, it's something where, in, in the same kind of cyclical way my mind works, like every three months or something, I would go on a, a YouTube kick and, and binge all the episodes I could and listen to the commentaries. And Trevor was like the founding member. It's, it's Trevor Moore, uh, Zach... I should look up it. I think it's Zach Kreger, Sam Brown, Timmy Williams, and Darren Trumeter. That I, I did know all of the names. And they had a show on Fuse that was then came out on IFC, which is the same company that AMC is. And also IFC produces Documentary Now. And they did Portlandia for a while. So it's kind of like this indie offshoot. But it's something that is a show that was coming out when I was in high school. And I have this, I have this very specific memory, memory of like starting lacrosse and a dude who played defense who I really looked up to was referencing whitest kids, you know, and I did that thing that you do in middle school and high school when you're uncomfortable and you have, like, I didn't have access to it. I hadn't watched it, but I lied. I told him that I did because I thought I wanted him to think I was cool. And so I have this like huge, like I, my, admiration for trevor is also part of this memory that i have it's like this thing that this guy i thought was cool liked and i i I think i've associated those two feelings which is part of like why trevor dying so suddenly and so young he was only 41 is really affected me and it's kind of like losing somebody i looked up to someone i didn't really think was going to die this early in my life you know it's just very strange and starting to get back into him they they the troupe hadn't done anything for a long time. It'd been like 10 years since the show had ended. Trevor and Zach wrote a show called, or a movie called Miss March, which failed, like flopped horrendously. So they didn't really trust them with anything else, but they've kind of had a resurgence in, in COVID. They started doing Twitch streams and they, they started playing things online. They're doing a, a they did a D and D series called Buckerson and Myers. And it's, it's set in the D and D world. And these these like, they totally just fuck with the whole D and D thing because they're they're manic and crazy and don't respect the nerdy uh, institution that is D and D. So it, it's just like I had been getting back into them, and they were excited. They were working on a movie, um, an animated movie, and they were working on like kind of during COVID. They kind of brought them back together and generating stuff again. And then Trevor passed, and it, it's been sorry. I'm I'm just verbal diarying about this because it's been a lot of complex feelings and it's kind of contributed to a lot of my depression recently is like i watched a lot of them do stuff over zoom like i do with you you and zeke and uh scott for movie mumble and i'm seeing these guys that i i looked up to i admire i think they're funny and seeing them talk to four other boxes or three other boxes of their friends that they're creating stuff and they're laughing and then one day, one of the boxes is gone. Yeah. And it, it just really hit hard that, like, their friend's gone. And it, it's really kind of made me really cherish the ability to, to use this format to document my friendship with you guys. Yeah. And, like, to, to, to capture these moments because they're fleeting. And it's just been a really, it's been really hard to think how, how quickly and how young people can go. And it's, I'm just very grateful to have 
this archive of my friendships. Like who, who has that? It's, it's just really, it's reshaped a lot of how I'm thinking about things and made things really, really important and like wanting to invest in time and, and, and immediacy and, and fervor in, into those things because it, it, it could be gone. Your friend could no longer be there. And it, it's, so it, that's kind of how I've been processing and not really dealing with it all that well, but watching the sketches and stuff like parts I'm going through the back in a little bit, it's kind of morbid fascination and everybody makes celebrity deaths about them, but he, there's this connection to him. I always thought he was really funny uh, in the same way. Bo Burnham was like kind of this Oracle. Like he, he, when Trevor dropped, I think it was uh, the story of our times was his last album that he did. He has the, my computer just became self-aware song which i really like and then there's one where it's high in church is a great song of his like when he was doing like this kind of parody songwriting i always thought it was like very specific it resonated with me and it felt really like how i viewed things so yeah him him passing away was he's kind of left this big hole that i've been filling with his back catalog and kind of these four-hour discussions in the same way we could wax philosophic forever and just goof off and shoot the shit. Like they did the same thing. And there's this huge backlog that I've been kind of working through. So the biggest part of his contributions is why does kids, you know, the series is crazy. It, it ages well. And then not so well, there's a lot of hard <laughs> F and a hard, hard R slurs. It was another time in quotation marks. It doesn't mean it's okay. Like they're definitely, I, I think with those it's, it's colloquially used. And there's also like, they're making a comment on a specific type of character who's using those phrases, but there's some things that you just can't defend, like the, the use of those words. But it, I, I definitely think there, there's a, an earnestness is a weird, <laughs> a weird word to describe this show that is a lot of screaming and a lot of cum. It's really hard to, to use earnest in the, that category. <laughs> I mean, you can't get more earnest than that. <laughs> it's in some ways it's our most earnest moments that involve uh, screaming and come um but yeah it, it's i i had told tim um a few weeks ago that this is what i wanted like was thinking of bringing and i sent him a big long list uh that started with 10 sketches and i threw one honorable mention in and then tim sent me four and then i sent him two today <laughs> so we, we it's been a very uh like it, it's it's easy to rabbit hole with these guys, which is a, a, a euphemism, I guess. Oh, did we want? <laughs> did I make you watch the glory hole sketch? I don't think so. Okay, I'm gonna. I might cut this out, but I, I want you to see the glory hole sketch real quick. <laughs> also, I just realized, like, I think I did miss one of them because I'm just noticing now. There's one after your list of ten, the the HM Saturday. Oh, you didn't see the Saturday one either. Okay, no. So let me... I, I didn't notice that because then, like, I think when I, I saw the list of 10, I watched all those and I think I jumped into, yeah, the, the ones I sent to you that I that I liked, like my favorite sketches. Okay. Um, so we'll do, which, well, it's since it's they didn't have Trevor, I didn't include the baked bean sketches because those the are baked also some beans of my is amazing. They have some footage of the day they shot that and oh, the t shirt cannon that they used to smash him in the, the face. Beans. Apparently it embedded some in his skin, like it scarred them. They didn't oh, have a God. DP on set or a union guy to say, "Hey, that's not safe." They just did it. <laughs> Zach really like he has the footage on his phone, and he watches it every so often because it it makes him laugh harder than anything else. So that that's great. So um, 
we'll start with the Saturday sketch. It's interesting that you hadn't seen the Saturday sketch because yeah. this is one that I always really liked. And then I kind of found out through watching this back catalog that Trevor really liked this sketch as well, which is really, I don't know. I'm, I'm using any excuse to like ally myself with this guy who's passed, but like, it's cool that I really like this sketch because it comes from like this earnest, innocent place. I really, it's really joyful. And the fact that Trevor liked it too is kind of cool. But I'm also going to put the glory hole sketch because it's the opposite. <laughs> Can we say glory hole <laughs> on the air? Sure. Okay. Oh, uh, there's some great <laughs> timing in some of these sketches. Yeah, I love the fact that that one has the Saturday sketch has this Baba O'Reilly esque theme song. That's so yeah. I don't know. There's so much joy in it, and so much little kid is like, this is what it's going to be like when I'm an adult is I'm going to yeah. be that excited for Saturday. I don't know. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's very, they have a whole lot of like kids in per, in, in adults bodies jokes. Right. And it's yeah. like, we don't know how anything works. We don't know. Like all we know is yeah. this is how we feel. And how is that going to be translated into adulthood? I, I like how he was like sleeping in his full suit. Yep. 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 Almost that so that he could take off the coat and untuck <laughs> the shirt and put the tie up on like he waited to do that on Saturday, not yep. came home Friday after work and took all that stuff off. Yeah. <laughs> Which I, I've actually, that reminded me too. Uh, yesterday I was teaching a lesson and I had a piano student. She's this like little girl and I forget what she was talking to me about, but she was like, are you a grown up?" And I just go, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> what a, what I think a great, she just, <laughs> what a great thing to say as an adult to a kid. Yeah. <laughs> like, you should not look forward to this. <laughs> Are you a grown-up? Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> that kid's going fucked up. <laughs> not by choice. <laughs> they stopped me from not growing yeah. up. All right. So this is a, a infinitely less earnest sketch called the glory hole sketch. <laughs> I... <laughs> My favorite part of that. Well, no, I love every part of that sketch. (laughs) Go ahead. No, it's just, it's, it's so perfect. Like the, yeah, the fact that it's just like, like the yes. And with the improv where it's like, you know, like keep the person in the room. It's just like (laughs) stall your wife so you can finish the blowjob. You know, like that's, that's what's happening here is it's just like the, you know, I love that. Yeah. She just keeps her like, no, no, the point here is that you're still not out of the glory hole. Like, (laughs) I love the fact but that it is earnest. It is earnest. You know? <laughs> they're they're fine with saying glory hole, Ignacio, right? Mm-hmm. But she won't say goddamn. The old GD glory G-D hole. G glory hole. And I love the fact that the old glory hole for some reason. This is totally unusable. Why are we talking about this? It's so inappropriate. But it's just so funny. It's just like those exist in the world. Yeah. This I love the fact probably... that he's like, it could be anyone. You don't know that it's a man. It's like, yeah, I'm sure like women are just hanging around, like waiting to some, he's like, some strangers. Don't, don't like, shatter uh... the illusion for me. Right. He's yeah. like, <laughs> I love you. Can we talk about this? <laughs> like, <I> li- <laughs> he's just stalling the whole time. Okay. Anyway. Now, I so, hope. Now I say this because I've never, seen slash use the glory hole but i hope they like put tape or padding around Bruh. the edge because i feel like if you cut a hole into that like stall, like there's gonna be some sharp metal like that seems dangerous 
I've seen it both ways. On, only, only in films. I'm calling them films. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> only in picture. <laughs> so we 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 just watched two of the sketches: the uh, Saturday sketch and the old Glory Hole sketch. Um, <laughs> but the other ones that I had sent Tim uh, were the Lincoln sketch, which is probably their most famous. Um, space potatoes or the astronaut mess kid beer talk to your doctor about suicide slash heaven is the name of that sketch songs of olden times the uh nicodic nicotine substitute sketch wheel of money god wants you to wear a hat (laughs) sniper business water balloons and then um saturday was my honorable mention and then tim sent me the john williams sketch (laughs) <laughs> the jizzle sketch the come up here come down here sketch and the uh finger ring friends and then i after those i sent him instant instant karma bigot and the sam in the bag sketch so that is quite quite a lot of zany madcap non sequitur titles i was thinking we could just go through the sketches as we like i don't know like yeah. you you had seen a few obviously the jizzle had been something you'd seen before and you you were saying like you because the state kind of came up at the same time and kids in the hall you you had seen some things from the same era not sure who it was credited to yeah i think because a lot of this stuff i had seen like individual sketches on youtube it wasn't like i would watch the show on tv so it was like oh i am watching this show right now and actually the of of my three sisters the oldest one i think she watched a lot of the state so a lot of the state sketches i think came from her and my youngest sister watched a lot of whitest kids you know stuff so a lot of that stuff came from her yeah i think i think probably the first one she sent me which doesn't have trevor in it but was baked beans like that was my introduction (laughs) to whitest kids you know i was like okay yeah i get this and then uh, another sketch that I that we didn't mention because Trevor's in it is the the didgeridoo one. It's the same guy who plays baked beans, Timmy, Timmy Williams. Yeah, he's playing Timmy's didgeridoo, the, and it's yeah, he's the MVP. He's so great. Yeah. I love him so much. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so so a few of these, uh, yeah, actually, probably I think the ones you sent me, I don't think I had ever seen those. So I think those were oh, pretty wow. much all new to me. That's cool. Actually, no, I had seen God wants you to wear a hat. That one's great. I do okay. love that. Yeah. yeah. I might have sent um, you that one, actually. I think I might have sent you that one a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think uh, aside from that, yeah, aside from God Wants You to Wear a Hat, Baked Beans, and uh, The Didgeridoo, the only other ones I had seen were the ones I sent you. John Williams, right. The Jizzle, Come Up Here, you know, Come Down There, and Fingering Friends. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> it was great, too, because I, and I know we, we, I think we talked about this last, last podcast, too, where I just, I don't get what's his face, even though you love his stuff. The one who Pete I Holmes. said was all the worst parts of Pete Holmes. Yeah. Yep. All the worst parts of Seinfeld. Yep. Um, it was great to watch this stuff and just be like, this is fucking gold. Like, yes, like good. Like this isn't, this isn't going to be an awkward podcast where Joel's saying how funny it is. And I'm just sitting there like looking up at the sky. Like, well, what's like, great yes, about this, these, these guys is I think they, they were kind of in the perfect like time to be right between your and my like growing up and finding these yeah. specific things funny. I think it's cross-generational in that way. <laughs> We're yeah. different generations. I didn't have any anxiety about sending you this stuff because I was like, this is the kind of shit Tim thinks is funny right. as well. <laughs> Let's talk about Lincoln. This is probably yeah. their most popular sketch of all time. Really? Huh. Yeah. 
and they used to perform it live. Oh, and that's cool. What and they would what they would perform it with Trevor in the audience, and whatever theater they were in, they would put Zach as Lincoln up in the balcony, and <laughs> Trevor would climb the stage and then the wall up to the balcony to oh, beat God. him to death with the hammer. <laughs> so there's some live, uh, like some video of them doing it live and him kind of just sprinting up and scaling the side of this to get, it. it's great. Like it, it's, wow. Damn. they did a lot of this stuff. Like they had live shows. They, they toured as a sketch group with a show. Oh, that's cool. So that. um, that's cool. I love that this starts with Hamlet and it's about vampires and Othello, I will avenge you. <laughs> it just like it's trying so hard in that first moment to be legitimate, and it fails instantly because it's like yeah. this is what a play is like. <laughs> like right. Hamlet, 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 Hamlet. <laughs> like, it has a very like this is what kids think theater is. <laughs> right. Yeah. These are the names we recognize. We have no idea what actually took place in those plays. Mm-hmm. Maybe think of the, I think it's on Brooklyn Nine-Nine where someone, maybe it's not Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but someone says something about like, oh, you know, call someone Iago. And it's like, you know Othello? And he's like, what's Othello? I was calling you the parent from Aladdin. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a Jake <laughs> Peralta yeah. quote. It's like, I feel like that's a, it's a, it's a similar vibe of just like, <laughs> no, I, I don't know Shakespeare, but I do know Disney's Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think what sells this sketch is, is Zach's delivery as Lincoln. Like the the voice and the way he responds. Was it you, String Bean? You tub of lard looking motherfucker. Yeah, I love that he keeps calling him skinny and fat. He goes back and forth between the two. <laughs> Was it you, String Bean? Was it you, you fat motherfucker? <laughs> like, yeah, it oscillates. And I, I again, like half of these sketches are just people yelling at each other. <laughs> it's why Tina is like, I can't fall asleep to this shit. It's so shrill and they're so loud. <laughs> I quote this sketch quite a bit, like the, now you fucked up, now you fucked up, you have fucked up now. Like, the cadence <laughs> and the delivery, like, Zach sells this whole sketch. And Whitest Kids does this weird thing for a lot of their sketches where the straight man in the sketches is usually the most crazy. Like, they're they're being very calm and they're not emoting, but the person mm-hmm. who's completely reasonable is the one screaming and losing their fucking shit. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> not in this sketch but it made me think of the sketches where that kind of is inverted because obviously like and it's funny because like the guy who's watching the play and talking to his wife and asking him to be quiet is john wilkes booth like why this kids has this fascination with assassinated presidents and attempted assassinations of presidents <laughs> for and they they are like that's comedy goals <laughs> like, the troop was formed on 9-11 like they found a lot of like their friendship like the the group came together on 9-11 and started hanging out so like the the troop is kind of born out of tragedy in a certain sense so i think that kind of influences the things that they're commenting on and i'm i'm talking very eloquently about a very (laughs) jizz filled (laughs) show well no that's like that's the great thing though is like i didn't know like i don't know any of that that history so it's kind of it's neat to hear the behind the scenes stuff because it's just like yeah like i i like their stuff and you know, knowing that, you know, and, and that's the thing is like, you know, you, you had me a jizzle, but to know, <laughs> like, oh, wait, no, there's, there's depth to this. Like, oh, okay, that's great. It's such a great performance. And Zach, just giving it like that, that level of performance the whole way through. And then the way he's like calling him out and like making it rhythmic and a dance. And when he starts saying, what, what, 
what hey what 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 like the, i love that the, the part, call yeah. and response like it, it does enough to establish it, it's 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 basically going to like the b or the c section it's it's var- variations on the theme of the, the rhythm joke that they're doing and it, it's just hilarious and i i love when he, he, he yells hey acty <laughs> rewind the play how could they oh, yeah. because that fat motherfucker was talking shit i gotta piss i found a bottle it's fine <laughs> like i just love that he says hey acty <laughs> don't break my butt <laughs> it's interesting because i've i've been watching seeing commentaries and they going back and watching sketches they haven't seen in a long time and they're coming at it 10 years later like making other things and kind of developing as artists so they're like looking at them and being more critical and editing themselves it's like oh it's interesting that we, where we shot this and how we shot it, we got this and another Lincoln sketch on the same day. The hat was made out of construction paper. The beard kept falling down. Like they're talking about like the editing of like how the jokes flow. It's really interesting to see them critique it and it, it really lands, but they kind of deconstructed and they're looking at like all of the, the rough edges where it's just, it's so funny. Like yeah. it, it, that as a radio play, right? You wouldn't even need the visuals, Right, the, yeah. the, all the rhythm jokes are there. It's just, I, I think it's hilarious. Well, what I love too is that, like, you're kind of slowly coming together. Like, well, wait, that's Lincoln, and he's in a balcony, and there's a right. play, and this guy's yep. name's John. And then how they're like, oh, this is how it really happened. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, like that brings it all together, like ties it up in a neat bow. Like, yeah, history books wouldn't say he got hammered in the ass. Like, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it, it's it's funny that ties into the American myth conversation we had, right? Like, yeah. We don't know. Like that's kind of deconstructed the myth. It's like we have the founding fathers literally carved in stone, right? Like on this pedestal, and like I, I love this kind of deconstruction. And like that's their first sketch. That's the first oh, wow. sketch of their first. Well, no, no, no. It, it's in their first episode. The first sketch is the. Uh, <laughs> I. It's so quick. It's it's like uh, shot in. It's really poor lighting. They they shot a lot of stuff. Some of it's handheld. Some of it's before they had a TV show, and they kind of put all these sketches together and kind of crafted the show. Um, okay. But one of their earlier ones was Trevor's on the couch with his wife in or girlfriend in the thing, and it, they're expecting. They're she, she took the pregnancy test, and they're about to find out. And she's like, "I can't read it. What it, what does it say?" He, Trevor picks it up and he says, "This is my iPod Shuffle." <laughs> it's not the pregnancy she pissed on his iPod and shuffle and that's the first <laughs> sketch like if that doesn't put you into the mindset of what this show is about <laughs> like, that's brilliant it's outstanding <laughs> in in order to not spend a million hours on this the astronaut mess sketch oh, is that that was potatoes. my favorite that yeah that jumped in like i saw that and i was just like this is fucking great i put that like, one on to watch on the tv today and I like I hadn't watched it watched it in a long time, and Tina was kind of moving through. She stopped for a second and watched. Like it just escalates and it doubles down and triples down and quadruples down, and it continues to be funny every step. It, it's Trevor and- sitting at the front of the space shuttle with all of the, like he went to Seven Eleven and he has all of these snacks and he's eating them, and because they're about to go to space, it's falling back onto. Was it's Darren and Timmy who are the other astronauts? He makes chocolate milk. He has a soda. 
And then he ends the sketch with potatoes for some reason. <laughs> like, I love that, too, that they're just, like, raw potatoes. Like, is he just going to, like, chomp down on a raw potato? And it's, like, I think my it's like the perfect part of that... way to escalate it. Like, that, right. I feel like that is the most painful food to fall on. You know, like... Short of, like, watermelons, right? Like... Right. Yeah, but he probably couldn't carry a sack right. full of watermelons. Yeah. So it's like, okay, we'll do potatoes. Also, without spoiling it, right? Like, you, you would see that coming. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Like, I love the way he opens the bag of potatoes. When he opens it and one falls out, he's doing this, like, mime. I don't know what he's doing with his hands, but it's like, it looks like he's trying to save things, but he's also pushing him out through the bottom of it. Like, it's a very, it's an interesting physical performance that he's doing. I, it, I just brilliant. The, the fucking chocolate milk thing. <laughs> he's got the fresh milk. He he opens the thing. He puts it over his shoulder. He's doing pretty well for a while, and then he loses it. And the way it thuds, and they keep cut like you see it from above, and then it cuts to the side as you're seeing things falling onto their faces. I think my favorite thing about that is that like a lot of their other skits I've seen, they take place in like houses or right. rooms or, yep. but like they must have either had to find this set or build it. They had to build. It's it. actually, that was a pretty yeah. expensive set. Yeah. yeah, but it had to be, like, rigged up so that the seats are facing the sky. There's a ladder and having to climb it in, like, the seat belts. And it's, like, so the fact that they were, like, hey, I have an idea for a sketch, but we're going to have to fucking build this whole thing. It's, like, yep, let's do it. Well, they, they used to do that one live, too. And they would set it up with tables. And Trevor would, like, just lie on top of the top of his table and the guys oh, okay. would be below him. And one time they didn't set it up right and the top oh, table buckled. And it broke Darren's arm. And oh, it like God. ended the show. Like they they <laughs> it's a dangerous yeah. <laughs> So that you you were saying that one was your favorite of it? Uh, yeah, of, of the ones you sent me, definitely. Yeah. Like I mean, let me just scan for yeah, because I just I remember like like the Lincoln one was good, but going into that one, I was just like, Oh no, what's he gonna do next? Like I was so engaged <laughs> and like, how's he gonna up the ante and just how he just keep I'm thirsty. Like, like he's sorry, but I, I'm not gonna stop doing what I'm doing because I have a good reason. He's very assertive like... for what I'm doing. And he just yeah, like just kept going at it, you know. It was just so like I was I was so along for the ride with it, you know. Yeah. And that set's just like... getting more and more caked with stuff, and you're like my thought is like you do that in one take like you can't go back and redo it because you, like right. the amount of cleanup and they're all sticky and like the makeup yeah. and stuff like great it's outstanding <laughs> yeah and, and that was the thing like it also just like how it, it upped the ante too with like you know, you've got the first drink it's like okay yeah he was just at 7-eleven he yeah. has this drink he just wants to drink it and then you know because what else are you going to do like that's not going to survive a launch Right. But then, oh, wait, now he's got a bottle soda that's sealed. Like, you could have waited, but no, I right. want to drink this now, yep. you know? And then, uh, and like, yeah, like with the candy, it's like, how did you imagine that going out? Like, just, <laughs> like there's no way you're going to open this and it's not going to just follow. And then, like, and then, like, I love that in some ways, even more so than the potatoes, like the climax <laughs> for me was like, when you see the top of the milk jug come out, it's just, like, a fucking gallon of milk. It's like, God damn it. <laughs> I just, what do you have? Nothing. Nothing. I'm just going to make like, a little I want to make some chocolate milk. Right. Not just I want to drink some milk. <laughs> so you know there's a second part to this. I'm just like, <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> like, I never, like, that was the thing, too. Like, if I had to write that sketch, I may have said, okay, yes, let's go into bigger containers. So I may have thought milk because it comes uh, in a gallon. Right. But yep. I never would have thought 
do chocolate milk because that adds an extra element that's also messy in a completely different way. Like he's like, it's in my eyes and they're like kind of coughing and choking on it. Like fucking brilliant. Yeah, it reminds me of one time. Oh, uh, sorry, real quick. We were doing a, a, a marching band trip one time, mm-hmm. and the other guy, like when it was when I was in the marching, the, the drumline instructor, right. and the other guy who was the drumline instructor with me, he said that when he was in high school on long trips, they would do a pixie stick challenge, where they would oh. see how many pixie sticks you could dump in someone's mouth. Ooh. And I think we had one of the giant, like yep. two foot long, yep. and we dumped that in a kid's mouth, and he just immediately oh, like oh. sprayed it everywhere, and it was just like orange paste like on the <laughs> dashboard and on the center console <laughs> so anyway oh, that's, that's that's what it, that made me think of the chocolate <laughs> powder just like this seems like a good idea but it's not your body will not produce enough saliva even if you think it <laughs> yeah it's a great exercise in escalation writing yeah that's the thing it's it's one that i do like if it comes up like I'm rewatching and it comes up like I I'm it's in the background I don't like sit down and watch that one but anytime I'm like here's a, a top 10 or I didn't give you a top 10 I just listed 10 that I thought were funny and I sent it to you but like it's always in that that rotation I always think of mm-hmm. that space potatoes sketch cuz it's so unlike anything else you know like the closest thing to it I would think is the Mr. Creosote scene in uh meaning of life in terms of like grossness and like mm. just a mess, the the, the yeah. projectile vomiting. That's the, I forget right. the tag. The end of that sketch is he's about to throw up, and that's oh, what yeah, they that's cut. Right. I always forget that little that little ad, added detail yeah. that also ups the ante. It's like what at least right. potatoes aren't gross; they hurt. But now it's gross, yeah. and it, that's what they cut away from. I I just I think the. Yeah. As endings of sketches go, I think that's a really good ending. <laughs> yeah. I wish it wasn't called Space Potatoes, though, because that does kind of give away. Like, once you see what's happening, right. yeah. like, oh, at some point, he's going to have a bag of potatoes. I mean, it's right. still fun to watch the potatoes play out, right? you know, but and that's like, the thing, I like, wish that was also a surprise. What's funny is that that's the name that the troupe called it. Like, when they would put the set list together to, like, do the show, it was Space Potatoes because mm-hmm. it, it was just quick to remember. Right. Another name for it is astronaut mess, which I think oh, is the okay. one that doesn't. When they compile these online, like whoever's doing it, like and they, they they don't quite own the rights anymore. Like they own them, but they owe money on them. So that's part of like the money that they're raising through oh, wow. Discord and stuff to like make their movie is so they can own the whitest kids stuff again and oh, like okay. put it out on DVD and Blu-ray again. The way that they've kind of been organized online and you can find bits and pieces, the naming conventions are it's interesting how they've kind of gotten mixed up and put in different places. But mm-hmm. Kid Beer. <laughs> I I love this sketch mainly because it's again, like not only did they double down, they triple down on the joke. Right. The joke is and it's also it's also this kind of childlike, right? It's like, why don't they sell beer to kids? There's a moral like, issue. There's got to be a good reason. No, that's not true. Don't, like, don't, <laughs> like, are you a lawyer? Then you have no idea. Like, I, I just love that they just hammer through and they acknowledge that you could Google it, right? Like it, it's right. enough, like you could research it, but they're not going to. I think that it's nice that they acknowledge the tech is there and then they move right. away from it. I think that's a par- right. important part of the construction of it. We're not going to let facts get in the way of a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) And they make, I love the transition to the second boardroom scene where they've got these like cheap plastic bejeweled 
uh, gems stuck to their suit coats, and they've got fancy sunglasses to show mm-hmm. that the money the the money's just rolling right. in from this idea. <laughs> and then they get like uh, gaudy crowns in the the next sequence. And that's the other mm-hmm. thing; like they tease it so well, where it's like, "I, I came in here and I sold you kid beer." And it seems like he's apologetic and he's not going to be. Right. But he's like, no, I'm an idiot. It should be baby beer. And right. then it should be embryonic beer. Like, I just, I love that those little details where they're playing with it and it's like, no, they doubled down. Oh, maybe they've learned the the, the error of their ways. No, they're tripling down and it right. breaks the universe. Yeah. <laughs> I also love that, like, you're watching this kind of going like, oh, yeah, that's a horrible idea. But of course, it's, it is making them a ton of money, you know, yep. and and you know, which granted, like it's their their skit, they're writing it that way. But I feel like as a metaphor, that works perfectly. Yep. Like here's this product that we're not selling to this one target group because it's potentially you know harmful. But what if we sell to that other group anyway? Okay, yeah, let's do that. And then of course, it sells like gangbusters. Like yep. you know, I feel like that's yeah, that's 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 capitalism for you, you know, and it's like. You know, and, and, and the fact that, you know, and I guess it's also like, a, who do you blame? Do you blame them or do you blame, you know, because that's, that's the funny thing. If you think about it too much, like, well, these kids, they don't have jobs yet. So yep. it must be their parents buying yep. them the kid beer. <laughs> so it's like, it's the parents' fault. Like, if you weren't buying this shit for your kids, your kids wouldn't be, you know, alcoholics at seven years old. <laughs> I love the, the scared straight, like, documentary interview footage with the kids yeah. where they're, like, alcoholics. And it's like... Yep. I threw threw up. I made all my friends mad. <laughs> fucking ruined my life, but I fucking love it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that, and I love that the reporter gives up. Like right. it's it's Darren as a reporter. I think Wanda Poundstone is her name, <laughs> and she's like <laughs> analyzing it. Is like now they've made <laughs> it for babies and tosses the mic, just gives up on it. Done. <laughs> and they they have another sketch, kind of later seasons, called Butter. And it's this uh, fast food chain, and they just are selling sticks of butter. Oh God! Like the corporate has sent down, like we have to sell it. And so it's the the guys working the the, the desk or the um, the register, and a kid comes up to buy the stick of butter, and they're talking like, "Can we give him the stick of butter? Like we should like, are, where's your parents, kid? Like are, we can't like it's something we sell. We have to sell it to him. So they sell him three bars of butter and he like has his piggy bank and he's emptying it out to make sure he has enough change for the third one and then he has a little heart attack in front of them and it's their fault and then they have they have this sassy black woman in some of their sketches that just comes in and says oh hell no and she comes in and she's like their manager's like the fuck is wrong with you kids giving this guy butter <laughs> it's great but like there, there's that kind of corporate commentary of like yeah. Whatever they're selling, uh, like they'll sell us anything, and we'll also buy anything. It's yeah. this great commentary on both sides of that consumer relationship. And of course, yeah, the only ones who know better are the ones stuck in the middle. You know, right. corporate is going to sell it; the consumer yep. is going to buy it. Yep. But the ones who actually physically sell it, they're like, "Wait, we shouldn't be doing this, right. but I need to pay rent, so I guess yep. I have to do this." <laughs> yeah, it's almost like capitalism is a bad thing. <laughs> <laughs> so the the next one I had on the list was. Talk to your doctor about suicide. And look, I I understand this is an offensive sketch. Like I, it's dark as hell. 
And it, this was Trevor's like senior project, like film school project. So they, oh, they had, Oh yeah. He was super young. Yeah. So he was super young and it's got this like black and white veneer, but it's what's so great about it is it nails the, like the medical ad tone and pacing so well. And it's this idyllic, like real, I, I think it's a brilliant sketch and I, I, it's just dark. And I think that's why I like it so much is that last, the last tag is, is it's this idyllic uh, landscape and they show this guy kind of, it's in black and white. He meets this girl that he was in love with. He has this BMW. He's happy. And there's this puppy in a, in a present box behind him. And the tagline of the sketch is ask your doctor about suicide. And I, it's so dark and it's so that's that's why it, it, it's like watching a horror movie. It ha- it wiggles the same part, like same thing mm. for me. I don't know. Well, yeah, because you see all this stuff going right, and you're kind of like waiting for the rug to be pulled out from under. Yeah, you know, it's not. This can't just be like everything is this good. Like, what's the catch? You know. Yeah, and I I, I think the catch is outstanding. It's it's just so it's such a little joke, like <laughs> joke. Yeah. It's but like it, it's such an interest. It's. Yeah, I don't I don't know how to defend it because it, it's dealing with suicide as this laughable concept in it. But it, it, I think there's also an earnestness to it. It's like life is pain. I think there, there's yeah. a commentary going on into it as well, which I think is. Well, yeah, just I think just the idea of like the fact that it's like here's this I- idealized life. Mm-hmm. ask your doctor about some drug to let make you have, right. you know, that's, that's usually the, the, yeah. the, you know, the, what it's based on is like, you know, you can't have a good life until you talk to your doctor about some drug, you know? Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it, it's not addressing what the actual problems are. It's like, no, just take a drug from your doctor and, right. be fine, you know, um, they, they have a couple yeah, of, I think this is just the, no, the, the natural conclusion of that right. idea. You know? That, like, I like that too. It, it's like it's the final pharmaceutical ad, in a certain right. sense. Yeah. It's also like that's an interesting commentary on it too. Is that like when you, when you're prescribed these things with the opioid epidemic, it's like that's what happens at the end is ODing, right? So it's like right. in a certain sense, these things, the access and kind of the addicted brain, I don't know, could lead to it's a longer road to having killed oneself. I I'm garbling this listeners. I apologize. Like if it, if it offends you and if, if it uh, triggers you, uh, obviously I do not think you should watch it. it it's uh, like, it's funny for me to watch because I, I, I don't have the, like I'm not dealing with those thoughts or that, that kind of, anyway, I'm garbling it. There's no way to apologize for it. It's a thing that exists. I think it's funny. It has some problems associated with it on that mode. Songs of olden times. <laughs> well, also, they they do a they have a couple different suicide sketches and there's one where it's like American Idol, but with suicide. Oh God! <laughs> so they have a judge and they're they're commenting on that format and it's like these people coming up to show these creative ways and like the first guy just has a shotgun and it happens on stage and the judge is like this is boring like we've seen this before so it's a I think that that's playing with it a little bit more it's not any less morbid but the the point that there's what they're lampooning is what we consider talent in America and what we consider entertainment attached to yeah. that talent as well. Songs of olden times. <laughs> we might need to talk about this one and John Williams in the same breath. I think that might be okay. a good link. 
So, so okay, so you did catch that Easter egg then? Well, I didn't. I, I didn't catch it, and I think it's the same one. We can say it at the same time that the the theme that John Williams thinks of yeah. is uh, you the are child bride. Yeah, the child bride. So I didn't know that until I was watching them do a commentary on it, and they had shown me that Easter egg, and so that was. I only caught that because I watched your 10 and then when yeah, I was sure. done, so it was like in my head. And yeah. then, cause I'd see the child. I think my sister sent me the child bride one before. Yeah. So I had seen that one before, but like having them back to back and I was like, Oh shit, that's what that is. I was, I was watching it through today and I was like, Oh, that's cool. that they, they were both in that, that list I had sent. So that's awesome. Yeah. This one's great. Cause it's just like, <laughs> everybody sings songs about things that are normal in their time. What's great about this is it's like, you know how fucked up pioneer days or like even before that, like yeah. the idea, like or in biblical times, this idea that like you could marry your kid. What the fuck? Like super fucked up and great to kind of like put this like infomercial esque. Here are the the CDs. It's in it, it. I mean, that doesn't really exist anymore in terms of like how you acquire these collections anymore with Spotify and stuff. Like it's kind of like a bygone era of this ad language but it, it nails it it's so good i, I think it's really funny oh, yeah. he's kind of also, doing like Pavarotti. That... like there, there's a weird yeah. like way he's carrying himself as he's singing trevor's great yeah i also love too that they have like the girl just singing right along with it yes. like, i feel like yeah that's how it would be portrayed is like oh yeah like you're, you're in on this too uh-huh. you're, you're totally cool with this you know that's <laughs> the way it would be like presented like oh this is normal and this is just you know, it's, they're singing a love song together. How nice. Right. <laughs> I love that reveal because, like, he's it, – it's shocking. He's there by himself. And then you hear this wayfish tiny voice, and then the girl shows up. It's like, wow, <laughs> whose parents signed off on this performance? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's – and I also – I love the uh, <laughs> the period song. <laughs> oh, yeah. Banish her to the woods. Like, I just think it's funny. Like, <laughs> it's just – immortalized in song the backward awful uh, yeah. beliefs held in these times <laughs> nick a dick <laughs> this that one's great too what i love about this <laughs> sketch is it's the perfect synergy of like early 2000s homophobia and also the like get healthy quick ad campaigns of the same era mm. like it, yeah. it's the synergy of those two things and it's yeah. great because it's this device meant to help you get over your nicotine addiction that looks like a cock and balls. And the right. way that you get the thing that has the nicotine is you suck it off. And it has replacement balls. I didn't realize until this most recent watch that the balls on the physical things are misshapen and not the same size. Right. Like the right one is bigger than the left one. I just like that really awkward. It's molded plastic, like weird lumpy detail. I, I just think it's outstanding. And I love that Timmy's using it in the car. He's like, what? Is it broken? He pulls it out, gets him right in the face. <laughs> it's not a subtle show. Like it's showing, like it, it, it's definitely holding your hand to the show. It, it reminds me of that, the episode of, of South Park where when they were talking about how how much flying sucks and mr garrison created a new vehicle where to make it go like one end went up your ass the other one went in your mouth and you had to like and that's what powered it and everyone was choosing to use that instead of flying on an airplane 
<laughs> because that's how much flying sucks. And it was just like, it, it was perfect. Cause it was just like, you know, watching all these South park characters have to like suck off this thing as they're like flying down the street, you know, and this and that. And it was just like, yeah, like this is the most inconvenient way to travel. Well, except for flying. So we're going to do this. <laughs> that's the green way. <laughs> I, I, I love at the end, it's Sam. He's like, thank you, Nick. I mean, fuck you, but thanks. Yeah. And then he's go, why do they make him smell so bad? I just love that little <laughs> tag at the end. Like Sam is the perfect guy to deliver that line at the yeah. end. It's just like, and the way he's acting with like, like gagging on it. It's, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's great sketch. <laughs> Wheel of money. Wheel of money. <laughs> no, no, no. We can't say it like that. It's wheel of, of money. money. <laughs> that was my favorite part about that sketch. Not the arms being torn off. <laughs> but the fact that it's like okay rhythmically it sounds too much like wheel of fortune so if we make this little adjustment to the rhythm it's fine like that that i love that (laughs) so the premise of the sketch is this like wheel of fortune as sketch show that's trying to get like picked up by a network and the host is having all of these difficulties because it's very similar to wheel of fortune and he's having to inform the audience that they can't say it because of marketing reasons but also the contestants keep like catching themselves on the wheel and it's tearing off their limbs and they're bleeding out and he's just continuing to go he's he's he continues to go through it like it's it's just and them he keeps getting the note cards just stuck in his face like yes. yeah i know okay he's, he's that, trying to keep track of all this that's stuff. my favorite part like is the the uh hand that emerges from off screen to hand him a note card of like stop fucking up you need to make sure that we do it this way so we don't get sued it's just like that the host that Trevor is playing is in hell, essentially. Like, it feels like everything is contributing to him being miserable. And the end, the last guy, who's a Canadian, catches his tie in the wheel, and it pulls his head off. And he was wearing ice skates because he's Canadian, and they make hockey. So he's tie. He's now lashed to the wheel of money, and the, the ice skate cuts everybody else's heads flies off and embeds in Trevor's head against the wall. <laughs> and it's just so violent and over the top. And I love that Trevor's just trying to hold it together. And it's just like everything is falling apart around him. And again, it's, it's, it, that's the inversion, right? He's supposed to be the straight man. He's supposed to keep everything level, but he, and he's kind of, he's acting very calm and everything's going crazy around him. But he is going forward as if it's not scary or terrifying or anything but right. inconvenient that these people are maimed and dying. <laughs> and my my favorite line is uh, the the woman asks if she can roll or uh, uh, try to spin the wheel again. And Trevor goes, no, you can't. And he points to the lack of arms. No, you can't. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And then after Trevor dies in the sketch, it pulls back and it's these executives. Well, no, it's like the engineers. Yeah. Like, Oh shit, everything's wrong. It's like, go to camera one. They just keep jumping and they keep doing wheel of money, wheel of money. And then it's further back. And it's the pilot in front of these uh, t- television executives. They're like, that show is fucking metal. <laughs> and they're like, let's pick them up for the full season. Everybody involved in the project is dead. Well then let's go to lunch. And that's the end of the sketch. I, it's, just the layers of it. Like they keep pulling it back and there's this disconnect between the, I'm just now kind of using it as a metaphor, but it's like 
how many steps removed from the creative act are the people determining whether it should be out there? You know what I'm saying? Like, I I think that's a really interesting commentary is like, they literally put blood and guts into this production and (laughs) it's going through three levels of veneers. Like, Oh, that's cool. Oh, they're not around anymore. Fuck it. Like uh, it's just the, the immediate dismissal. I don't know. I think it's, it's really interesting. Yeah. And and the show, the way it was supposed to have been probably wouldn't have gotten picked up, but because it was becoming a huge mess, that's what appealed to them. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, we don't need to talk too much about God wants you to wear a hat. I just think it's funny. Like it comes up like maybe every other week I'll think of it in my head as God wants you to wear a hat. I love that Sam Brown is playing like a fat cosplay of slash in it. (laughs) And I like that. They're just like, where's your hat? Where's your hat? Like, Gandhi, all these like religious figures, right. and, like these big deals. The Dalai guys. Lama. Yeah, <laughs> I just think that's really funny. That like, yeah. Also, the fact that it was like a, a musical skit. Yeah. And I don't tend to like those a lot mm-hmm. of the time because, like, especially on SNL, whenever they'll have like someone doing like in their opening monologue, they're going to do a song. Right. It's usually terrible because mm-hmm. it's usually like the first verse is kind of building towards something funny. But it's not funny yet, and the music isn't great. It's like I'm not here to listen to music to see a performance, a theater performance. I'm here to be told jokes to so I can laugh. Right. And then usually the payoff isn't that great. Like, I don't know if it's just that, like, you know, whoever's writing the lyrics is not is more of a lyric writer and not a a comic writer, or that the jokes have to be toned down so that they can be turned into lyrics. But I, I tend to just not like funny songs. Like, it's really it takes a lot for me to enjoy a funny song. Um, you know, and, and I mean, that's part of it too, is I think you, know, especially if you grew up with weird Al, who's a master of that, like right. you're not weird Al, don't try to do it, you know, but you know, whether it's someone else's song with new lyrics or just a new song that you wrote, but this, this was great. Like it was perfect. Like, I feel like the music kind of captured that, that style of metal enough Mm -hmm. and i was also thinking too like the beginning like the intro goes on a little bit long and it's like i wonder if that's commentary too that's just like the the intro could be half this length right which i guess is also could be a criticism too is like if if the point of this song is the the lyrics don't take so long to get to the lyrics but but it was i i found it funny in that way that i feel like a lot of heavy metal will do that and be like did you catch that four bar phrase? Oh yeah, that was cool. Well, here it is again. <laughs> oh, okay. No, no, I don't need it again. Like get, get to the verse, get to the, where things are changing. Don't give me the same. And the, you know, the, the first four bars were usually the same four bars. I don't need it twice that, you know? So anyway, so like, that's all the things my mind's thinking, but then it gets to that. And it's just like, Oh God, these lyrics are brilliant. And like the way it works so well. Yeah. Cause the lyrics are, are great but it doesn't take away from the song either. Like it's also a good song. Like right. I probably the, it reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the cartoon home movies. No. Check that out. some point if you get a chance, it's great. Mm-hmm. It's uh, uh, I forget the, the main character's name, uh, who does the maker, but like Paula Poundstone did the mom's voice. It's like this okay. little kid and H John Benjamin actually does multiple characters on it. He does this oh. little kid, Jason's voice, but he also does this fat coach's voice. Gotcha. Um, but anyway, it's, it's a great show. And, and, there's like um, the main character, Brendan, who wants to be a filmmaker. So he's always making movies. Ah, I see. And one of the guys he knows who's like an older guy has a heavy metal band and he does videos for them. Mm-hmm. And like Jason, uh, I mean, uh, uh, Brandon's, uh, Brandon's like brother put marbles in his nose. 
And he had this heavy metal guy write a song about for kids about not putting marbles in your nose. <laughs> and it's this heavy metal, but like prog metal. Cause I think it's like in seven, eight, it's like, don't put marbles in your nose. Don't put marbles in there. Don't put marbles in there. Don't put in it. And it's like this weird shit. And it's just like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. Like, because it's, it's like silly and funny, but it's also like, I would listen to this, you know? So, um, so anyway, that's, those are my thoughts on God wants you yeah, to love hat. It's like, it's, awesome. it's a perfect commentary. Like the, I actually enjoy the music for what it is. It also, it doesn't go on for too long. Right. Like that's the other thing too. Like, Oh, this is a song. It has to be five minutes long. Like, no, right. like get in and get out, you know, like. So there are, there are a lot of musical like parodies and stuff like not parodies but like there's musical vignettes within the show and it, it's odd that like in the the stuff i sent you there's only two maybe maybe there's just the one i want to i, I want one. i want you to watch this one it's called god says and i'm gonna preface it with this might hit a little too close to home okay. for you but this is another one i think is pretty funny. that was great can you send me the link to that absolutely I, I, need to, I need to post that because <laughs> i was like this is so you it hurts and this is kind of like when i'm worried about you like worried about what your ocd could turn into this is the sketch yeah. i think of <laughs> just god says Let's... what your hands is about like ocd and like feeling compulsive and like having to wash your hands and like touch the stove and like this re- it's not very sensitive it's yeah. not clinically accurate at all but it's very specific to Tim's brain. <laughs> and it's a- yeah, and I, I mean, I, I feel like that's the thing, though, is, like, I mean, the, the touching the stove three right. times, like, yeah, yeah. isn't a thing, but it's like, right. but I get that. I get that. <laughs> I get that right. probably other people have that exact compulsion. Or, uh, like, there's a um, what's-her-face um, thing. I think her, her YouTube channel is, like, Rachel Does Stuff. Like, she's in that show, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, I can't think it's of It's not McAdams, is it? No. Um, I, I don't know. But... But she has like a bunch of silly songs and one of them is about OCD and it's like touch the touch the wall 12 times or your dad will get AIDS, you know, and it's stuff like that. Like, but it's like, you know, it's it's like, yeah, it's not that exact thing, but my thing is just as weird, random connected to this other unrelated thing, just the same. So it's like, you know, I think I think that's part of it is that like it's not some of those compulsions may not be mine, but they may be someone else's, you know? And I think that's the part that I try to find the humor in, you know, and, and even with my own, it's not like I'm sensitive and offended if people kind of point out my stuff. It's like, right. I get it. It's stupid. Like it shouldn't be there. I wish I didn't have to do it, but yeah, like I think the, 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 the numbers is an important a part of it, you know, and, and how they develop. I think that's what makes it different. Like, Oh, touching the stove three times. Like, I don't do that, but there are other things that I have to do certain numbers of times, you know, mm-hmm. and if that, that might be a thing for someone that developed for a reason, you know, or whatever. But, um, I don't know. I think stuff like that's helpful too, to kind of show like for, for me to see, I like it, but also like someone who knows me, who doesn't know that OCD is like a more common thing I get to be like, Oh yeah, that that's like Tim, like, Oh, someone else knows about this thing that like, right. Tim goes through. So it's like, what I like when I'm watching those videos where it's like, you know, oh, okay, that part's not me. Okay, but that part's me. Right. You know, and that's that's yeah. part of it is like, it's not everyone who has OCD does all these exact right. things. It's like you have different compulsions. And yeah, the, yeah, the, the compulsions are, are personalized. You know, they're, right. they're special to <laughs> us, you know. <laughs> but like... And I think like what you were saying about God wears you to wear a hat is like, they don't overstay their welcome. I think, yeah. I think Trevor and they worked on like two verse songs you do verse one 
chorus, verse two, chorus, done. And I think yeah. that keeps it fresh and it doesn't feel super repetitive. And I think that, like, I, I was interested to watch this with that lens after you just talked about God wants for you to wear the hat. And I th- thought it yeah. was really funny that, like, it, it it's good. Like, it does the jokes and it expands, but it doesn't overstay, which I think is, is great. Yeah. Um, sniper business. <laughs> I think this was so funny and it, it's a intern or somebody working in a law firm or something like this business shows up trying to ask his uh, boss for a day off from work. His boss is hiding from the, <laughs> uh, the window because their uh, competitor has a sniper on the roof. And it's like the, 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 the crazy ex or hyperbole of, comparing business ventures to wars and they just, they do it in reality and they, they take it to this ridiculous place. He's got, he's got his own sniper rifle. He uses one of the coffee boys as bait. He has a a grenade launcher and he's, he's talking really casually to the guy that he's also attempting to kill. So this merger doesn't go through or will go through. I like it. I think it's really funny. And it's like when people talk about like, yeah, we had this like, uh, a hostile takeover of this other conglomerate. It's like they're talking about it like it's a war. I love right. that they just did that joke. And it's also like after that actual altercation of that level of violence, the kid asking for a day off is like, fuck you, man. Like, no, <laughs> this is the level of of, yeah. of uh, commitment that you're, you just told you, like he built this into this like war machine and, doesn't care about your your brother's wedding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I definitely like the skit, but it's it's also one of those things where it's like sometimes I have trouble with like you know preaching to the choir type yeah, yeah, yeah. skits where it's just like yeah, like I get it, like I think this is stupid and this is how these people look at it, like they're these you know like freedom fighters, and it's just like no, this is just for you to kind of have you know to inflate your ego and you know, but like, but yeah, it, it was definitely funny, but it was also just like you know, the, the right people who need to see this won't see it. And if they do, they'll be like, that's stupid, you know, right. or like, or they'll be even worse. They'll be like, yeah, you're damn right. That's what it's like. And I'm a hero and I'm, you know, okay. I just love that they keep coming back to him like the boss and he keeps saying business. Yeah. Like this is how it is. Right. <laughs> so like, yeah. I like that little tag. Yeah. Line. He's unfazed by all the stuff that's happening and yeah. he's just like, you know, adapting and like, okay, you know, the water balloon sketch. <laughs> is my absolute favorite sketch and has my favorite moment in the whole show it's it's great it's uh, darren plays this merchant who comes to this wild west town and he introduces water balloon fighting as an alternative to gun fighting <laughs> to these like serious cowboys and it's great it's it's just so silly and the tag is great and the escalation of it is great like they show up five water balloons are, are purchased this gets this other guy involved. He goes and gets m- more, and he gets somebody in the crossfire. He gets uh, water noodles instead, attacks somebody else. And then the guy comes like, hey, do these work with pee? And they fill a balloon <laughs> with pee. And, it just, and then at the end, it's like, do you buy bullets or do you sell bullets? And then it has this tag of like, on a somber note, during the, all of this sketch, slavery was legal. And it's uh, like at the end of the sentence, it's like, do you sell bullets? And black people <laughs> sure do just got a new shipment in. And then the tagline after it says, see, they have like this really like uh, Civil War-esque like uh, uh, History Channel documentary little like 
like placards that come up after the dramatizations is like see i i i I think it's so well written and so much fun and the timing is great like the water balloon slapping or whatever that is the splash noises are like the foley department really nailed like the timing of those the editing is really great but my favorite moment is sam gets the water noodles and timmy is walking in the background and Timmy's just walking like this, like cartoon cowboy. He's so happy, and he says, "Well, howdy, Bill!" And whap, right in his face with the water noodle in the same. Like it's the part. It's so funny. It's like the best comedic timing, the best slapstick. It's literally slapstick. And well, howdy, Bill! Poof, and he's just beating him on the ground with these water noodles for the rest of the sketch. And I just think it's brilliant. Like, I like that. I also like the moment where someone, I forget which guy, he like buys them and he turns. And he's like, oh, no, he gets hit right in the face. Like, son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you snake in a grass. Son yeah. of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> I like when it comes back because he, he turns the same way to go and attack. <laughs> he gets hit in the face again. He's like, that was my pee. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, it's outstanding. I like that's That's my favorite sketch i just think it's so funny <laughs> i love it too because like you know like like how you were talking about it about escalation which you know both for the sake of the comedy but also just like i feel like that's the way humans are it's like if one person hits another person with a water balloon eventually it's going to escalate to bullets you know <laughs> because it's not like oh we're having a water balloon fight this is fun it's like how dare you you hit me with one water balloon i need to hit you with five well you hit me with five i need to hit you with ten you hit me with ten i need to hit you with water balloons with my pee you hit me with water balloons with your pee now i have to shoot and kill you you know it's like it's, you know it, it, it's never about like oh this is something we're both involved in it's always a contest it's always like this is not going to stop until one of us is dead and it what? started with a water balloon <laughs> What I love is there's kind of a running joke in like the background of sketches or like yelled lines is like, we have to be even. They they play a lot oh, okay. with that like, little kid mentality where you got it. Like, I'm going to get you back. It was harder than you hit me. Now you got to get me like the, the having oh, to be okay. even keeps escalating. Mm-hmm. And that, that's something that Darren says to, to Trevor in the background as they're running around. We have wow. to be even. <laughs> Like, I love that. It's it's like little kids made a show about yeah. bestiality and incest and cum and uh, like all like there's an insane amount of pedophile jokes. Like it's all of these. I don't know. Like I, it's not a show that would be made today. I just I think know. it's I mean, it, well, maybe. I feel like there's a through line between that and like Big Mouth. I feel like that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. That that's I, that's really I, fair. Yeah, I mean, I think the difference is, like, with Big Mouth, they're like, oh, we'll draw these cartoon characters who are kids going through puberty. Whereas, like, with Where's Kids You Know, I mean, they're, yeah, like you said, they're they're, they're writing it like they're still kids going through right. puberty, but they they're full-grown adults, but, but we're watching yeah. them. Yeah, they were we're supposed watching to get them wise. as full-grown adults. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They were supposed to get wise. I, I think they really captured that, like, when am I supposed to feel like an adult, yeah. right? Like, they have great sketches where it's like they don't know. There's one where it's like there's a, an accident and they show up to the the um, hospital and guy who's on a bicycle is like, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. I'm a bicycle guy. And the businessman is like, I don't know anything about what you're talking about. I'm a businessman. Well, I don't know anything about you guys are talking about. I'm a doctor. Now, does anybody want to buy tongue depressors? 
Like, cause he thinks that's what doctors do is sell the tongue depressors. And then they take it to court and it's like the, the, like they have like, there's a businessman in the uh, jury box. So he identifies with what the businessman says. And like, mm-hmm. like it, it's just this great. It's like, who is an adult? What does an adult mean? How do we right. operate in the world when we don't know anything and we're supposed to know things? Like I, I really like that kind of, it's not on we, but it's very trans, like transitory, like this middle space between coming of age or when you should have come of age and being an yeah. adult. I, I think it's really brilliant. Also latching on to the fact that it's like, if you're a businessman around a doctor and a, and a bicycle band, then you can have like the confidence of what you're doing because you know, the other people aren't going to know what it is, you know, and you can feel like I'm a businessman. I know, you know, you don't know what I know about. Right. But if you're around other businessmen, then it's like, Oh shit. Like these other people also know what I'm, what I'm about, you know? And I also like that that kind of thing where, yeah, like my knowledge has value because you don't know what I know, whether or not what I know is actually important in the bigger picture. You know, you don't know. (laughs) It feels also like I, I don't know if they're deconstructing television on this level, but it also is like when you write the background characters for a sketch, here's a businessman, here's a doctor, here's a lawyer. We all know what they mm-hmm. do. We all know how they interact with the world. But this is a subversion of that. They don't know yeah. what each other do and how it applies to right. the world. And I think that's really part of it, too, is like no, everybody's faking it except Jimmy Page. I will yeah. continue to say that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the John John Williams sketch, I guess, it would be the next one. Um, fucking love this sketch. Oh, it's God. Trevor so in a bad wig and a bad uh, beard, just going bum 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 bum. He's like going through the house. You can tell it's a later season because like the production value is a little better. Like you can see that the the uh, there's an actual set in a house, and they like he's doing out stuff stuff outside. Like he's mowing the lawn, he's showering, he's all this stuff, and it's like his wife mocking him. And they have this songwriting competition. I just felt like this must be how Tim feels as a composer. Like, oh, I could do that. It's easy. (laughs) (laughs) What's also like, I feel like it captured, like, I'm so impressed with how he was able, yeah, how he was able to capture, like, what it must be like to be John Williams specifically in terms mm-hmm. of like the style, the way he writes and how yeah. everything he does, it's like, I could see that being a John Williams score, yep. you know, yeah, yeah. like, and it doesn't sound like anything in particular, but it sounds like something he would do for uh, as of yet unreleased film that he will score, you know? Yeah. And, and yeah, just that process of kind of like the songs kind of go constantly going through and constantly working it in your everyday life. Like it's, it's always just running through your head and, and evolving and changing and hitting a brick wall. Like, okay, start again. Like try, yeah. you know, try this instead. Yeah. So that part's great. Like both, you know, both me wanting to laugh at John Williams, but also, identifying as a composer yeah and then yeah the realization today that oh my god like that theme is the father bride (laughs) melody i was like that was so great (laughs) because he's he's trying to compose something for a crossover between star wars and indiana jones it's great it's just so non nonsensical but also like might happen like it could happen in the future yeah Um, what was i i read something somewhere where i think there was like a comic book or something what the hell was it? Where someone was like, and it was this alternate Star Wars universe where Han Solo died and then like on some mission and crash landed on a planet and died. Yeah. And then 
years, years later, like Indiana Jones, like unearths the grave and, and like finds like the remains of Han Solo on earth or something like that. I, I thought I heard it where it was like he crash landed and got amnesia and became Indiana Jones. Oh, I like that even better. There's that like, cause on the, the Ark of the Covenant, there's R2 and R2, C3PO are in yeah. the hieroglyphs. So there, there's art, like, yeah. there's connective tissue yeah. with Spielberg and it's, uh, right. Lucas. But yeah, that, yeah, I had heard that too, which I, I like that headcanon. <laughs> I like that a lot. Yeah. But I, my favorite part of this sketch, absolutely, is when they're doing the song contest between him and his wife. And she does hers, he vomits, which is a great gag. Yeah. But then he just goes, that's just the THX logo. <laughs> I love that he makes an X with his hands as he says it too. So they've been using that audio clip like, go at like in all of their marketing and stuff and like trailers oh, and nice. stuff they've been using that tag which is perfect it's like yeah like that's the thing like okay anything i write now the th logo go comes before it because it's yeah. you know it's big you know i was like yep that's perfect i'm surprised he did also to do the 20th century fox fans right. like <laughs> that same thing it's a good joke yeah. i like that so special. so did, so did you catch the the other easter egg no i didn't so his his son's name Oh yeah, yeah, yeah! I, I saw it for the first time this time. I saw that his yeah. name was uh, Sherman or Sherwin. Sherwin, yeah, Sherwin, Sherwin Williams. Williams. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> and that's the thing. I'd seen that sketch a hundred times. I don't think I ever picked up on that. <laughs> yeah, well, that's just nice how like subtle they are with it. Where it's just like, yeah, I'll just throw you know, he, has, he needs a name. Yeah, <laughs> and the dog is like, going to judge the next competition. Yeah. I like that joke. I like mom's better. What? <laughs> mainly because i think it's funny it made you puke <laughs> all right the jizzle yes okay as as a parody of a very real shamwow person and like ad it's outstanding like the cadences the way mm-hmm. the production value like it, it's it nails that and it's also hugely gross and hilarious <laughs> Like, I think they were saying, like, at third or fourth season, like, their budget in terms of, like, jizz-related jokes and the amount of, like, <laughs> jizz, like artificial jizz that was created for the show was, like, gallons. Oh, <laughs> well, like, the come up here, come down there sketch. Yeah, that's what I was That stuff say, is but... caked on the walls. And the the uh, just it's just dripping. dripping. Yeah, like I don't know what they made it out of, but it looks it looks good. It looks gross, but it looks yeah. accurate. <laughs> My favorite part of the jizzle sketch is he throws the sock, and it yeah, sticks, it sticks to, the to the wall. That was not planned. He just oh, nice. did that, and they caught it in that take. Is like just a That's brilliant awesome. moment of just like <laughs> your mom's bathrobe's not going to do anything with that. <laughs> look at all this cup you just you're just pushing it around you just push it around <laughs> wipe wipe clean <laughs> you can go out to a fancy dinner you don't have to worry about it <laughs> and when he's he's squeezing it out and it's oh just, god it's, oh. that's the worst part yeah like to think that it's actually like soaked in and like now we're wringing it back out again i don't know how they made translucent mayonnaise but like it that's exact like the yeah. consistency the thickness the way it moved and uh, the 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 sound like the yeah mm-hmm. that sound that they got from it was just so gross and so perfect <laughs> and then the come up here come down here is just another it's another yelling sketch it's another yelling yeah. cadence sketch 
And I really like, there's a few of them where it's like art, like yelling from upstairs to your mom downstairs, where it was just like, I'd never seen a sketch about that before. And it was like very real, like, that's how my child, like half my childhood was just yelling down the stairs. She's like, what do you want me to, like, asking, like, what do I need to do? Take out the trash. What? Come down here. Like, it just, I, I love that. And the fact I I love that they they subvert the joke for so long because it sounds like like you you are watching Trevor react to his mom talking to him and you're thinking that he's mistaking what she's saying and then it cuts down to her and it's lit like he's taking it literally and she it, that was correct because there's just come everywhere that, I think that was, the yeah, raccoons got the perfect... in the attic. Yeah. <laughs> I, that was a perfect ending to that skit too, because it like it goes on a little too long. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like that's part of it. Is like the I, I almost feel like that's part of the thing is you're supposed to get angry. Like, why doesn't one of you go to the other person? Yep. Like, stop just yelling. Like, obviously, you're not hearing the other person. And I think that's part of like the tension that it's building. You know, is that it's just getting more indiscernible and more confused, and you know, and he's kind of saying more things because he he knows what he's saying and he's progressing through his half of the conversation but none of it's getting through to her but you know he's not you know taking that into account you know you don't expect that to be where this is going that like you know that the mom is essentially saying the same thing but to a greater degree you know and it's like (laughs) it's it's i i love that he's like uh, no, I, I think I have a pretty good idea of what you're dealing with down there. I don't want to come down. <laughs> like, <laughs> like he's made the decision. Like, no, I'm I'm good. Thank you. And they have a yard sale. I love yeah. that too. Like, there's this immediacy of something that they have to go and do, and yeah. they're in the house and dealing with this as they're preparing for something. That's like I I love that tension. Felt very yeah. real. Gave it an immediacy, and it's like, why are they yelling and not like? Because they have something to do right now. Like they, yeah, it's great. I, I like that a lot. Um, finger ring friends, <laughs> <laughs> a, a a Power Rangers parody <laughs> of a, a, a kid's toy, and they're finger rings. They're rings that go on your fingers, and they all have one has like a marker. One smells like cinnamon for some reason, and then one. What was the other? I can't remember. The other one has. Uh, it, was it? A- stamp yeah i can't remember yeah or something like that but it, it's light yeah they're just using the product to make fingering jokes and i think it's it's brilliant it's great well that's, i mean that, that's the thing that's why it smells like cinnamon is so they have an excuse uh-huh. to be smelling their fingers <laughs> <laughs> outstanding not not a not a um a layered joke it was just, it's just how how do we make this well, I, what I love too is how it builds to the the act. I mean, the concept is uh, you know there is this double entendre, but then it builds to like you know the, the verbal double entendres where it's like give your mom a surprise finger, finger ring, ring, you know, and yeah. like and they're actually you know you could be fingering friends in the back seat, like they're actually like it reminds me of like the um, like on SNL when they do the Sofa King skits, yep. you know, yeah, 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 like oh come down to Sofa King, our prices are you know you know they're Sofa King cheap, you know, and it's like you finally get to the, the actual wordplay of it, and it's like oh, okay, yep, there's the payoff, you know, <laughs> plus the fact that I feel like in the first half they're kind of hinting at it and you're like, Oh, okay. It, they're putting it in your head. Yeah. Right. Finger ring. I get it. And then they're like, we know you get it, but we're going to take you down right. that road anyway, by the hand. <laughs> I don't know how they got that past 
the sensors. Like, I don't know how they, they, cause the kid, the kids are, that's the thing. Like all of the, the commentary is coming after they've shot with mm-hmm. the kid. Like the jokes are not with the kids present, but I just think it's like, how, how did you do that? Cause it, the kids make the jokes work right? because yeah. that juxtaposition is so great. And it, it's not even beyond the pale. Like there are products that were marketed to kids like the, the, um, uh, Jar Jar Binks, tongue popsicle oh yeah like why was that marketed who is that for that's disgusting and gross and it has the same kind of like well if you watch any ads for it it looks really fucking weird yeah (laughs) it's like were they did they have pedophiles in mind like here buy this pop and give it to a kid like what the fuck but my yeah. my favorite, I think my favorite part of the the fingering sketch is with, with the dog when he's like, <laughs> and the dog's like, oh, like <laughs> it's like, see, the dog knows what's up. He knows what you you're talking about. <laughs> say right. <laughs> and then we watched uh, Instant Karma Bigot, which I think is pretty funny. And it it's it's one of those sketches that makes me feel like, okay, I know that they use the hard R and the hard F words, and that there's like the way that they use drag and how they portray female characters isn't great or enlightened or by any means like respectful, but like they're that the instant karma bigot sketch is about, this is not okay. Like being a bigot, being stereotypical and awful to people is, and you deserve to have crows and uh, footballs and air conditioning units and then trucks hit you in the face. If you're a fucking bigot, like I, 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 I like that sketch a lot. It's, it's, yeah. it's like a palate cleanser. It makes me feel it's like, cathartic, okay, yeah. these guys are like, they're trying, like there, there's a time and a colloquial use of terms at the certain time it doesn't make it okay. But like, it was more acceptable at the time societally, but it, okay. it like, I, I feel like they were always punching up. They weren't trying to punch down. And I think that's the point. Also, I feel like, uh, you know, it's not that it was okay back then, like it's right. never okay, but I feel like we didn't know that it wasn't okay. And we didn't, you know, we didn't have the internet kind of telling us, you know, right. hey, you shouldn't be doing these things. Like, it's it's so much easier to be woke now because everyone on, or half the people on Facebook are telling you what to do to get woke, right. you know, the other half are refusing to be woke, you know, but, you know, back in those times, like, you know, I remember, yeah, as a kid, like saying those words, and it's just like, it, you know, it, it was just what kids said as insults. Right. Like, you didn't have the, the, the forethought to be like, hmm, who could this be hurting? You know, it was just what you called your friends when you were messing around, you know. Right. Um, I think the other part of it, too, and I've heard people say this, and again, not that it's excuse or makes it okay, but there's a difference between, you know, like when you kind of throw out a word versus like, if you actually have the hate that's behind that word. Right. Um, and I think that's the difference with them. You know, it's like, you know, when they're, when they're saying those words, I mean, again, it's not okay, but at the, the very least it's like, you know, I, I don't, I don't think, and this hasn't come across. I don't think they're, they're actually homophobic. It's just, that was a word that you use that at, in that era as an insult. And like I said, no one said, Hey, this isn't Okay this is hurting this group of people. So I think that like, yeah, like I think, you know, with a, a sketch like that, with, with, you know, the, the bigot, it's like, you're seeing that, okay, this is, this is how we actually feel about these right. words and people who use these words, like, you know, using them as a hateful person who actually, you know, dislikes these, these races or these groups of people. Like, yeah, you get to hit with the air conditioners and the birds and all that stuff. And, um, and I, yeah, I think that's, a. um, 
I, I think it's impressive that they were making that distinction back then before right. like woke culture was even a thing, you know, right. you know, I'm, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of creators you could say that about, you know, like when you go back and watch, watch older movies and it's just like, Oh my God, they were saying this and saying that. Right. And, and again, not that it was, it, not that it was okay to say those words back then. Right. But like I said, I think without the, the internet being what it is today, like people weren't doing that, the same sort of self-evaluation that they're doing today. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and I think, so I think, I think that's kind of the, the way to quote unquote, excuse it. Not that it's okay, but like, you know, it's an you acknowledgement you like know, to, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like, if you don't know you're doing something wrong, like how much can we come down? But then once you realize it's wrong, do you make that change and say, oh yeah, that was fucked up, you know? There's a, and I think there's a lot of like the characters that they're sending up that there are characters that they have that are homophobic and they're always the bad guy. That's that's the other thing. It's yeah. like there's there's this one sketch where uh, these these two couples are at dinner, and one of the like it's Sam and it's Trevor, and Sam touches his our foot under the the uh, table, and they both oh, get yeah. up. It was like, why are you being so gay? Like, ew, you touched me. Like, it, it was like a, a uh, oversimplification and uh, infantilization of homophobia. It was like. How stupid are you? How how ridiculous you look. Like I think right. like that was the sensibility is that like we are using these characters to make a comment on this is not the, the way to be in the world. Like and the last one I had on the list here was the Sam in the Bag sketch. Which is weird. Like I I, I love it because it's long and mm-hmm. weird and it keeps pulling the layers back and it gets more and more weird and wild and out of nowhere and then morbid and dark and and trevor got caught with pot (laughs) because his friend sam went in a bag and then threw pot out of a hole in the bag in front of his mom and they told his mom i need more room in here (laughs) (laughs) had to make some room like then he tells his mom that his dad is cheating on her and then she comes back and murders his dad (laughs) and it's fucked him up royally and it's like hey this is a non-fiction sketch and then they they break away to like a documentary about the making of it. And then Trevor goes from being this kid in this like sitcom setup to being this like jaded director behind the scenes, like yelling and trying to get this twisted vision on screen and also being like really fucked up by the trauma of this one incident that's made him this homicidal maniac. I it, like the journey, just describing what happens. in the, I, I love that. I just love how yeah. further, from reality it gets unhinged it wasn't one of my favorites but i definitely like appreciated like yeah yeah like those layers and the thought that went into it It, yeah that it wasn't just like all right we're gonna make a bunch of cum jokes get in and get out you know it's like it's gonna have like this like extra storytelling aspect to it and yeah and like making fun of like like you're saying when he's a director he's wearing a hat Right. You know, to show that this is him as the director and, and that he's got that same posture and kind of like that, you know, when you're watching this documentary, you know, and the directors talk about what they did going into it, you know, they, they kind of nail all of those parts. Like, I thought that was great. Well, that's probably about enough. Of that. <laughs> so here's Tim with the final word. Jizzle. <laughs> we'll see you next time. <laughs>